Meanwhile, back at the Hall of Justice, our mild-mannered podcasters were bombarded by gamma rays, bitten by radioactive bugs, mutated by toxic waste, irradiated with cosmic rays, born into a world that doesn't understand them. First issue. Hello everybody, it's Wednesday, July 2nd, 2014, and you are listening to the Talking Comics Podcast. I am your host, Bobby Shortle, and I'm here with Mr. Bob Ryer. Hello. So it's just the two of us. It's like Just like the Will Smith song, it's just the two of us. Um, yeah, see, it's Grover Washington Jr. and Bill Withers. Well, I'm going to say Will Smith. Okay, but he, he just sampled i know i yeah. know i know, okay. I, know. Okay. I have some education about, about about rappers sampling music um so steve and stephanie are uh, of of broad in canada celebrating canada day today is july 1st happy canada day to everyone they tried to take us let's try to sneak it in before fourth of july which is obviously on f- friday that for all our american uh listeners and friends and sorry to all our british friends who we broke away from all those years yeah ago. i don't know what the, the, what what day is like there do they have a day Oh, the day the Magna Carta was signed, like a, country, sure. like a country day. Like this is our celebrate. We celebrate our country today. I don't know. Our friends mm-hmm. from across the pond should write in and let us know what what's well, the, yes. what the deal with that. Um, so there's a conversation you guys are never going to hear that Bob and I had. Um, I we started recording, and about ten minutes in, I realized that it was only recording on my track and not on Bob's track. So we had a very engaging discussion about the U.S.'s loss to Belgium in the World Cup and predicted the rest of the World Cup. But you guys will never, ever hear it because it's gone. And to repeat that conversation, I think, would be really weird. Yes. (laughs) I say we are sad that the USA lost. um, And I think we both have Germany winning the World Cup. Yes. (laughs) To break it down for you guys. But we're also blaming Hugh Perry for USA's loss because he predicted a win over Belgium before we recorded. He sent in a question for us. said, hey, talk about USA beating Belgium. Didn't happen. No. I actually had predicted Belgium to win. They were the one, one of the ones I got right, sad, okay. sadly. Um, yeah, sadly. Heartbreaking. Heartbreaking. We could have won. Chris Wondolowski, that, that the very, very last moment of the game, had a chance to just, if he just didn't, Pooed it. <laughs> it would have. It would have. It would have been a goal. The goal was wide open, and he just hit it over the goal. Flew it over the goal. It was. It was sad and heartbreaking. And then, you know, we got to see our team play very well at the end of the game. I feel like they pushed and they pushed and they pushed, but they didn't push the rest of the game. I feel like they kind of play off. Like they're scared a little bit at the beginning, mm-hmm. and they just they did the same thing against Germany. You know, they played off most of the game, and, and it, it cost them. And it's not what they did against Portugal. You know, against Portugal, they they played hard. They played a, they played attacking football, football. And here, they just played off. They just didn't. It didn't look like they wanted it until the end. No, and you, you can't hope the other team will make a mistake that will let you have one of these breakaways. Yeah. Where if you constantly have motion of players and the ball good things start to happen. Just as you're saying, when we mm. scrambled, it seems as, okay, we could find cracks in their defense. Yeah. For 90 minutes, we did none of that. Occasionally a ball over the top. Yeah. 
occasionally. This was the first... I've watched three World Cups now. Hardcore, you know? Uh, really invested in everything that's happening. This is the first one where I really feel like I'm starting to appreciate and understand the different points of the game. Like, I still don't know it all. I still don't really know. Like, I can't look at the field and be like, oh, that defender is playing out of position. You know? Obviously, there's a break. You can assume that they were playing yeah. up too far up or whatever. But I, I finally I finally started to understand plans of attack and set, you know, set plays and... Um, you know, set pieces and, and, and all these other things and, and the kind of tactics that go into attacking on offense and what you're trying to do and um, how important, you know, having, you know, those attacking players is, you know, because we, 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 we haven't really had Josie out the door in the entire mm-hmm. cup. And when they brought Wendelowski in, it seemed to really open Dempsey up to do more, more things. And so I, I just hope in four years when they come back and we're doing this all over again, that, you know, I, I just want to see a team that plays more in line and has, seems to have they're scrappy and and they play hard. But you watch Belgium play and it's just a different level of, of play. They, they seem to have a better communication. You know, when they clear pass it, when they clear balls out of the out of the box, the USA clears them and just they just go into nothing. Belgium clears it and it's I feel like there's always a player on the other end who's ready for a break yeah. imme- immediately. So look, when you watch basketball games, NBA games, there are teams that. A fast break can be chaos. You watch the Knicks run one, and it's, what is that? Mm-hmm. They end up with not even a good shot. But when you watch the old Celtics, Lakers, 76ers, may have Dr. J, or the, even the Bulls with Jordan, wow, there's a, a rebound, a pass, even after a made basket or free throw, there's a pass that leads to a pass, and all of a sudden, you've scored on the other team's defense before they can even set up. Yeah. And we're punting around back and forth in the middle, and nothing ever happens. Yeah. And then we make a mistake, and they're instantly in our backyard. Yeah. Because poor Tim Howard was all by himself. I can't tell you how many times today, when you guys have seen this already, you'll know what we're talking about. Yeah, I, I think it was something like 17 saves. I know that, I think it was Ian Dark was saying that it was the, the most saves in half a century. Wow. Um, uh, in a World Cup game, and it, you know, it was it was rough to watch, but I, I'm i excited to see the rest. You know, I'm excited to root for Germany and the Netherlands, and hopefully I have them in the in the final. And I think, what was your final, Bob? Uh, Germany, Argentina. Germany, Argentina. Right. So, you know, we'll see what happens. I mean, that that kid Green, the nineteen year old kid, looked really, really good. He scored a goal on I think his first World Cup touch, yeah. which was pretty, uh, awesome. pretty awesome. And Yedlin looks good. You know, he's fast. He's a troublemaker. He 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 just he seems to have it in him to to play great. And he just needs a little more discipline. So I, I feel like in a, in a couple of years maybe we'll 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 have a, a more competitive team. Yeah. There. If we can get you to not pick us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just, yeah, no, yeah. No, I won't pick anybody because <laughs> I just doomed Germany and Netherlands. It's yes. gonna end up being. No, I don't mean you. I mean Hugh. Oh, Hugh. Oh, yeah. Hugh. Uh, they, I mean, because we, Bob and I, you and I, have not been the, very good about picking teams. No, our teams are all eliminated. Yeah, on this podcast at least. Um, the privacy of our own home. Who knows? But um, so yeah. So thank you, Hugh, for d- dooming the U.S. and making sure they lose. Um, and uh, but thank you to everybody. All the nice things you said about you know us talking about the World Cup, it's it was it's really been fun to talk with you guys about it, and you know we'll talk a little bit more as we go along, and and hopefully we'll have a good uh, rest of the cup because it's been pretty great. Everything, yeah. everything has been going yeah. on. And to help you out, I will predict that that Cardiff City will win every game they play this year. <laughs> He's cursing you right now. You know that. He's cursing you <laughs> right now. Um, so yeah, so let's move on to more comic book. Related oh, here we things. go. That's why we're here. That's why we're here. Um, so. It's so weird to have the same conversation twice again, but uh, we'll try to. That was a little, that was a little different conversation. We yeah. made it. We made it different. So we, it wasn't just a remix. The remix. It wasn't, yeah, <laughs> it wasn't just us trying to remember what we said the last time. Um, 
uh, DC announced two new books in the in the Batman universe uh, this week. We've got um, Arkham Manor, uh, written by Jerry Dugan with art by Sean Crystal. And we've got Gotham Academy, written by Becky Cloonan, with art by Carl Kershaw. And I've got to look up the co-writer's name. Brendan Fletcher. Brendan Fletcher. There we go. Um, so Goth- uh, Gotham Academy, which stands out to me as the more interesting book on the surface, is um, a book, a teen-centered book about a prep school in Gotham City, um, where Bruce Wayne is a benefactor. And they've said that you're going to see other characters kind of popping up and roaming around in it. Um we we've seen we've seen a cover image and that's really it so far and that small description. What do you think about Gotham Academy, Bob? Well, the art looked very quirky, pastelly, lighter in character. It'd be great if DC had a a Young Avengers or a Teen Titans. It really is a Teen Titans sort of book. Becky Cloonan has done great work on those one shots of hers. Writes great characters, sets moods monthly with. Lots of possibilities. It can go all over the place. We don't know yet. All we see is this cover, but it does look lighter. Yeah, it does. It definitely does. And, you know, Becky Cloonan has obviously made her mark as an artist, and she's a wonderful artist. Um, and But you, like you said, those those one-shots she did, those books that she was selling on her own, you know, Demeter, Demeter and Wolves, and um, I can't remember the third one right now. But uh, awesome, awesome books. And we talked to her, I talked to her at Comic-Con last year, and she sort of talked about those you know, kind of proving ground for her as a writer. And I, I feel like they really did prove that she can, she can handle it and she can mm-hmm. do it. And she has talent at it. And this is obviously her first really big book. And it's promising to me that they bring someone on like her to do this. Cause she has a, a good handle on character and she has a specific, specific personality that comes out. You know, she's not a generic writer. And I think that's, it's, that's awesome. I think it helps that she has a, a co-writer because it's tough, I think, to do something that, like that big on your own for your first mm-hmm. thing with that much spotlight on you at all times. And um, the art by Carl Kershaw, like you said, looks great. Uh, and I hope that that's what the, the feeling of the book is. Um, you know, and I hope that it's insular to that. I hope we're not dealing with a lot of other Batman-like stuff. I hope it's insular oh, to the Academy. Um, much similar to that is the is the um, Arkham Manor, which sees Wayne Manor becoming basically the new Arkham Asylum, which it seems like here we're all the most dangerous villains in the Batman universe. I don't know why it happens yet. I don't know if it happens to Detective. I don't know if it's going to happen in Batman. I don't know. Um, but, and again, it could have already happened for all I know. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I haven't been caught up on any of the Batman books except for Batman. But I... I hope that it is also just like the Gotham Academy, an insular book that deals with the the communication and and the the dichotomies and the relationships of a mental asylum and how these people deal with each other. Mm-hmm. I don't expect it to be light and airy, but I do feel like there's a chance for an entertaining book that has a slight sense of humor in kind of that dark way and can show you aspects of these rogues that maybe you don't get. I just, I hope it's just not Batman solving mysteries in Arkham Manor. Um, Bob, what do you think yeah, of it? Jerry Duggan is doing Deadpool. Yes. And Nova at Marvel. Right. So there's a chance for quirky. Mm-hmm. Still could be very, very dark, but yet give you that, I don't know what's around the corner and a surprise. Mm-hmm. Great. And as you say, particularly if you keep the events out of these for the most part, let them find their own footing, mm-hmm. see what they can do. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and now we're in uncharted territory, Bob, because this is Ooh. where we started over last time. <laughs> Let's start over again. Yeah, Bob, I'm sorry. I have to tell you that we have to start <laughs> over again. Um, we're not there. Uh, so, 
So the other big news, and speaking of creative teams and, and, and changes, um, the worst kept secret in the comic book industry was that David and Meredith Finch would be taking over Wonder Woman when Brian Azzarello and Cliff Chang left the book. Um, we've been hearing this for months and months and months. It was not official until this week, but they are taking over. And CBR did an interview with them, and it has led to some controversy uh, on the, in the internet world, uh, especially today. Mm-hmm. It kind of all broke today. Um so there's a lot of quotes here and it was a long interview and I think a very interesting interview in, in a lot of ways. Um, the thing that people are focusing on, however, we will get to in a minute, but I, wa- I do want to give it some context, context before we jump into the one line that people have been sort of really freaking out about at, the, at this point. Um, so th- they talked to both Meredith and David Finch about this stuff. Um, so, uh, uh, one of the things Meredith Finch said was, uh, for my part, I'm just really fortunate. I have the opportunity to have such a complex universe of characters. Uh, like Brian has done a fantastic job creating. So from my point of view, I'm just really blessed that he's given me so much to work with instead of me creating everything from scratch. Um, uh, he, she said, I can't say how grateful I am to DC for giving me the opportunity. It's definitely a learning experience because I've done three one shots at Zenoscope. So to take a story and create an entire arc of what I want to do with Wonder Woman and having a lot more to say in what's happening in the book has been a lot of fun. Um, she says, I, I've been, uh, it's been a huge learning experience, but I guess I have a little ace in the hole because I have David here. He's written comic books before, and he's so steeped in the comic book industry that if I have a question or I need to know something about comics lore, I have my own personal encyclopedia who lives in my house. Um, and this is what David Finch said about his writing experience. When I did Batman The Dark Knight, for the most part, I wanted to do something a little darker, and that's not really where DC was coming from. I wanted it to be my own. I probably ignored advice that would have been helpful. I feel like... He laughs. I feel like I went, I went from trying to take a lead role with a lot of that stuff to realizing, you know what? I'm an artist. I feel pretty comfortable doing that, and I'm really not a writer. It's not my strong suit. I have a really hard time keeping plot details oriented in my head because I'm so visual. I'm happy to leave the writing to somebody who is a little smarter than I am. Um, so, and this is a... Uh, Another thing Meredith Finch said, um, one of the things I was really drawn to about her is she has such integrity and that she really is the balance in between. Batman is that really greedy, dark hero. Superman is really, I don't want to say almost godlike, but he's really pure. So sort of, she sort of combines the best of both of them and she has a lot of character. Um, uh, so um, this is some other stuff. Um, I believe this is Meredith saying this. We're definitely going to steer the book a little more in a more mainstream. I guess I'd say there will be some superhero stuff in it. I really, I, I really will still be a very character-driven book, though. I think that's what Brian did so well with it and what we're hoping to do in terms of telling the character stories in our own way. Um, Brian really did concentrate a lot on what he, what he did on her life as Diana, God of War, and part of that Greek mythology. She does have a relationship with Superman, and it's a relationship-driven and and it's a relationship-driven book, I think we can't help but touch on it in some degree. It's not going to be the main focus of the book, because that's what the Wonder Woman Superman book is for, but in some way that she probably comes in and goes in his books, he may come and go in an arc or two. Um, so for me, she's always been... These are obviously these are obviously just polls. I mean, it's mm-hmm. not all in a row. So for me, she's always been the quintessential superhero. Um she's saying other stuff, too. And, and I mean, this. I'll, I'll go through a bunch of this, and then we're going to get to the... We're gonna get to the the, 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 the incendiary quote in a second. The first arc will be shorter arc, but after that I don't know because I think inherently stories just carry through. Part of what Brian has done naturally just carried through. There isn't a finite beginning and end to anything, so we're going to play it by ear a little bit. We definitely have the first six issues planned out. The first two books are written, and we'll see where we go from there. 
Um, for me, it's just being able to write Wonder Woman. She says what, what she's really excited about. She's a really a female icon from way back in the 70s when females were stepping up and taking such powerful roles. Being able to take on that quintessential female superhero who represents so much for myself and for millions of people out there, especially at a time where comics are coming more into the mainstream. I feel like it's really special, and that's really where I'm coming from when I'm writing this. I want to always keep who she is and what I believe her core is central to what I'm doing. Um, and here's what David Finch said. I think she's a beautiful, strong character, really from where I come from, and we've talked about this a lot. We want to make sure it's a book that treats her as a human being first and foremost, but it's also respectful of the fact that she represents something more. We want to be a, a strong, I don't want to say feminist, but a strong character, beautiful but strong. Um, all right, so that, that final quote is, is the thing that obviously has, has gotten people, I will be kind and say worried about, about, uh, about the book. Um, Bob, I want to hear your reaction to the whole interview, and but specifically also to that, that quote. They had, in that mass of mm. words, there are some really good things being said there. That said, that last quote is sort of troublesome, and some of the other ones where uh, Meredith says, it makes sense if you're going to try to attract the female market that you appeal to every level of your writing demographic and replicate the demographic of your readership. Mm. Which strikes me as it's almost a little pandering. Mm. I, I, I'm a little concerned that you have a... If this had been Meredith and David Finch writing Batman or Superman, the internet would explode in a different way. Mm. How, would you, how do you put someone who's written three books for Xenoscope on Batman, mm. and yet DC feels this is the team you can throw into Wonder Woman, they're... Th third most important character let's put it mm. that way certainly so I could, you could argue one or two but still mm. if you're trying to attract the female readership you have on this book one of the most female unfriendly artists you can find who then makes a comment like that one that's what really worries people because the images that have already come out first that pencil sketch and now the new one that's not exactly where we're coming from. Now, look, I had problems with the Azarello Chang thing. Mm. And it did seem that, you know, Cliff Chang was certainly a veteran artist, been around a long time. Azarello, mostly a horror writer. And horror and kind of dark stuff. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And the book went in that direction. As, as people who've read more of it than I have, I did check out the first year or so, reading them in the store where I didn't have to, and borrowing trades and so on and so forth. A good story, just not a good Wonder Woman story. So for me, all those changes really affected the way the character was so now we're going to go back to more superhero but when you start to say the spotlight on her interpersonal relationships okay uh she's superman's girlfriend which she is in that wonder woman superman book where she fights superman's villains and hangs on his arm and well, i don't know what's going on over there or her relationships with the other characters in the dc universe meaning superman and batman so we're in her own her own spotlighted book she is now our secondary character in her own book again? Well, I don't know about that, Bob. I mean, that's a lot to extrapolate from she's going to have interpersonal relationships. I mean, every character has interpersonal relationships. Uh, I mean, look, I, I understand why people are worried because people have felt like Wonder Woman has gotten a raw deal for a very long time. So I understand the inclination to automatically look at this stuff and be like, here we go, another six months, another year, another two years of me not wanting to read the book which features my favorite character. Um, and look, I have no love for David Finch, especially, not as a writer. I mean, I I, I, have, I, I don't love his art, but I, I have grown to like it more 
in Forever Evil, I thought he did a very, very good job. So, uh, but he is not one of my favorite people in in the world as far as a comic book artist either. Um, and obviously, I know nothing about Meredith Finch at all. Um, and I do think it's a little bit strange. And look, this all comes off the. I, no, this is not. I'm not calling this nepotism or anything like that. But no, I'm. She could be a great writer. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, look, I think they have the the confidence to hand the book to someone who doesn't have a lot of experience because they have they have faith in David Finch's ability to at least shepherd a book, you know, and he knows how comic books are done. You know, he has experience dealing with pressure and deadlines, even though he doesn't always hit them, which is one of the other issues mm-hmm. I think people are 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 getting a little worried about here. Um, I had a little, there was a lot of discussion going on today, and obviously. Um, a lot of people worried about the fact that he he wouldn't use the word feminist. And look, the past couple of days have not been very kind to women's rights in the least. The Supreme Court decision a couple of days ago is atrociously abysmal um, and it, it is insulting, clarifying more that a corporation has the rights of a person more than a woman has the rights mm-hmm. of a person is a ridiculous. So I, I think that it's... It's it's a bad week for for this in general to, to come out and for what I would what I would think and I don't know David Finch and I don't I'm not inside his head and I'm not I'm not even defending him but I, this kind of discussion happened today and I I had, I had one back and forth with um, Jerry Ordway uh, on Twitter about this and I I think that the problem with it is less that David Finch the book will not have the tenets of feminism it's more I think that people misunderstand and are scared of the word you know i i feel like they think they think it denotes man-hating militant people it's about treating everyone equally yeah but that's a problem i I think that's why i think that possibly he misunderstands what the word really means and that's a problem in its own right i don't feel like the things that meredith finch has said i think point very much towards that character having at least some of those tenets about her um, it, 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 I, I hesitate to take one sentence and extrapolate a horrible run on Wonder Woman out of it because this is the main problem with our culture in general and happens in politics, happens in, on the internet. You take one thing somebody says and you make everything about other than they said moot because of one thing they said. And I feel like that is a little bit what's happened in, in, in the run of, of this, of this interview. Um, do I think, do I have any faith that the book is going to be great? I have no idea. And a Brian Cumiller said this as well, you know, he is a problem with her, him not saying feminism either, but he, and, but someone's like, yeah, and Meredith Finch has written three books. He's, you know, she's written nothing. And he said, look, I, I had written one episode of Smallville when I got Batgirl. So he's like, do not judge whether or not she can be a great writer before you've seen the book. And I think that's really the way for it, is to see the book. Um, but hey, look, I, I don't, I, I don't have a lot of faith in David Finch as an as a as a creator. Forget about his his um, political or you know moral leanings. I have no idea of, of what kind of person he is. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but I, I have less. I think the the discussion should be kind of how he is as a creator, not so much as one sentence. But I mean, look, I'm, oh. I do not have the same emotional investment in the character. Build. I'm speaking from a complete, trying to be as removed as possible okay. having this discussion. But she's, Wonder Woman isn't a character that people are removed about. No, absolutely not. For the not. most part. And that's what's troubling. That the company doesn't seem as invested in the real fans of this character than the fans are. Mm-hmm. And 
first of all, the way she's being handled now in the other book, she's a berserker warrior in Justice League who just wants to stab people, apparently, from what, what I've seen. She fights a lot, and there isn't much of Wonder Woman in there. And, the, and Superman, Wonder Woman, she's sort of a sidebar. If that's the direction the company wants to go with that character, it's certainly their character to do that with. But you'd hope that in her solo book, as Brian Azzarello did, he kept their his Wonder Woman separate. Oh, yeah. From everything else, it was just Wonder Woman. Yeah. I didn't care for it very much, but it was all by itself. And if that's what you liked, and a mm-hmm. lot of people did, you had that safe haven mm-hmm. to have something that sort of resembled Wonder Woman to some people, if not all of us. And at least you had that. Can a neophyte writer with no clout stand off the company when they say, by the way, we want Wonder Woman to do so-and-so and so-and-so so so we can do this and this tie-in and your book gets interrupted and whatever, Mm -hmm. when obviously we look at Batgirl and it was interrupted six times in a year for an event, and that's Gail Simone. Right, yeah. That's a problem. The Okay, Cliff Chang's art was gorgeous. Mm Mm-hmm. But beginning to end in this run, no matter what else was going on, if you didn't see the words, you could read that book looking at the pictures. It was just that good as a storytelling medium, what he was doing yeah, there. Yeah, I agree. And respectful and mm. charming when need be and a lot of other things. David Finch is none of those. Mm. He draws pinups. The The art they're showing, she has features that look like a doll. Mm. She has about a 12-inch waist and bent over in a position where she's definitely going to need a back brace. <laughs> it, is, it is horrendous. It is the return to the Mike Diodato Jr. thong-wearing era of Wonder Woman, and now without William Messner-Lobes at least writing a good story, it's going from bad to worse. I, because of the changes to her origin and character and the Amazons and all the other interrelationships, I was refusing to buy the new 52 mm. Wonder Woman. Is there a way to double refuse to buy something? Because that's where I'm at now. I'm not sure what to do. Thankfully, Sensation's coming. It's true. Absolutely. So she'll have a second book, and it's an anthology. But I think over there, you'll get to see more of the real Wonder Woman. But is that ghettoizing the character even further? Yeah, who knows? I mean, I feel like like if they're good, they're good. I don't think it matters. Um, I think that... I, I think it's interesting, right? Because... It, this feels to me like this is the perfect time, and maybe it's not. Maybe it's a year from now to put your biggest people on this book because the character is about to be in a movie mm-hmm. for the first time ever, and it seems like the perfect time. I mean, you look at what Marvel does with something like Guardians of the Galaxy. They put Brian Michael Bendis on Guardians of the Galaxy. Yep. This is like their big. There's their biggest writer. You know what I mean, and I, I feel like you 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 want a pop like that for for Wonder Woman because that way you get not only you might get because look the people who are coming from the outside don't care they don't know if Meredith Finch is is the greatest comic writer of all time any more than they know who Jeff Johns is for the most part you know but if for the people who are inside and the people who might go oh there's a Wonder Woman in the movie maybe I want to go check out some of the books you have somebody huge writing the book and it makes it that much easier for them to come and grab it. Um, I think that DC definitely wanted someone who would play ball a little more with them. I don't think Azarello would play ball with them at oh, all. Absolutely agree with that. Yeah, you know, and he, he said as much in, in in his in his interviews and in panels. He's talked about he doesn't like the Superman one Roman relationship. You know how he didn't, he wanted to keep everything separate. You know that's you can tell because there's really no crossover characters in his books at all. Um, and I, I think they definitely wanted her to be more a part of the universe and her to have 
I think it's similar to what happened with Batwoman, right? They wanted um, they wanted the character more integrated into that larger universe, so they had to change up creators because the creators they had just wouldn't do it. They, they had a vision and they weren't going to change that vision. Um, I mean, look, Azrael and Chang have been on the book for three years. There's not, there's not a slash of a run on, on any book. I, I think that there's, there's the opportunity to have a book that... This could, I mean, this could very well be the, a star-making thing for Meredith Finch, right? She could write this book and she could be the next big thing, right? She could write this book and it could be amazing. Um, you know, we might not like the 100% the way it looks, you know, but if it's written amazing, I think at least that's, that's you know, off the right foot. Um, not that the Azarello book isn't written well, you know, but I'm just saying it's more... It's written differently. Yeah, differently, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that could be great, because obviously we've talked many times we want more uh, more female creators in the industry. This could be a chance for one of them to break. Um, but it could also go horribly, so we have to see what right. happens, because this is the thing, like, this is not Jeff Johns, where, look, you, I mean, I haven't particularly loved the way Jeff Johns has written Wonder Woman in the Justice League books. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean he couldn't write her great in her own book, but if it was Jeff Johns, you'd be like, okay, I'll give it a chance. You know what I mean? Right. If it was someone like that, you know, you'd be like, okay, like, you know, we'll see how it goes. This, there's no, there's nothing, there's no faith to base it on. You know, there's, there's no, there's no priorness to be like, to give you faith. I have more faith in Meredith Finch mm-hmm. than David Finch. Mm-hmm. Because here's the thing to me, no matter who's drawing Superman, if it's Jim Lee or it's John Romita Jr., heck, if it's Rob Liefeld, mm-hmm. You can foul it up. He can have too many muscles and look ridiculous. He can have pointy face Captain America the way right. Liefeld yeah. drew that. Yeah. And it's bad. Mm-hmm. And it, it's, it's wrong. But there's a difference in drawing a female character sexed up and objectified. Mm-hmm. It sends a much different message. Right. Because at, at the base of it, I, I say this a lot to people when people challenge my assertions about these sort of things about, well, they draw the guys that way too. The difference is a male superhero with giant muscles and big arms or whatever you're accentuating the the attributes that display his physical strength mm-hmm. and when you draw a woman with melon-sized breasts mm-hmm. and posed in ridiculous ways you're accentuating her sexual availability and weakness right and that's a big big difference and that's what gets my teeth rattling yeah. and, and so many others who are, look at that and say oh my gosh that's why there's the Hawkeye initiative yeah because yeah. they don't the, the one uh Finch pose of Wonder Woman with their lasso was one mm. of their highlights of the right. Green Lantern standing that yeah, way. And it's, yeah. It looks pretty ridiculous. Yeah, you know, Meredith could be the person that could write the killer mm. run. But wouldn't it be great if this were, uh, forget Gail Simone, who's, mm. I don't know, we should come back to this, but let's say Marguerite Benner, who just mm. did that great Lois Lane one yeah. shot. You gave her this gig mm. and put John Romita Jr. with her. Yeah. Or Keith Giffen or somebody, you'd say, well, there's a name. Mm-hmm. Or, uh, Perez would never come back. But yeah. You, you, there you might be able to have some faith that, okay, new writer says the right thing. The art's going to be respectful mm. to what this character means. It doesn't have to be Dr. Marston's or mm. Perez's or Phil Jimenez's or John Burns or Greg Rucker's or whatever. But you'd start to say, they get it. Yeah. And so they're saying one thing and doing another, and they, they're contradicting each other. And if he had said feminist, 
it might have helped. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, that, that everyone, myself included, would have found something else to scream about. Right. <laughs> but that was just convenient. So it was like, let's latch on to that because yeah, yeah. that says everything we need to hear yeah. instantly. And there are thousands of comments already all yeah. over the internet. He didn't, he didn't give himself any, any, didn't any favors with, with that no. comment at all. Um, and I do agree with you. It's funny because I feel like in Forever Evil, reading that book, there wasn't a lot of that look to it. You know, I mean, the face... All his faces look like that. Even his guys look like that. Um, they have that pinched up kind of yeah. doll face. Um, and th- that's one of the things I don't like about his art. I don't like the way his faces are drawn. Um, but it, and I, like, and maybe I just didn't notice it, but I, usually I do notice those things because I know that you'll end up talking about yeah. them, so I see them. Um, and I notice them, and I'm, I didn't notice it so much in Forever Evil. So that's why I feel like it's weird that it, it seems like he's gone, he's regressed into this. Uh, maybe it's because he doesn't have someone like Jeff Johns kind of steering the ship or or whatever. We'll, we'll have to see. We'll have to see what the the interiors look like because you know this is obviously a piece of key art. It's a cover. Um, I want to see what the interiors look like and see if he keeps that up or if there's if there's a difference in it. Um, I don't know. I mean, I will at least pick up that first issue and read it just so we can talk about it. And I mean, Randy Ochoa asked on Twitter the, um, uh, t- us to talk about the confirmation of the new Wonder Woman team, oh, good. which we did, obviously. Um, and uh, Declan Glasgow asked, will you give Wonder Woman another try when the new creative team gets a start? Uh, I will give it an issue. I will see what it's like. I will get, try to get the tone and tenor of it. Um, and I'll see from there. Yeah, so. uh, I, I will buy one mm-hmm. with uh, holding my nose, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. You know what's funny? When we had we did our Wonder Woman roundtable and we were doing our whole Women in Comics week, there's all this talk and some of the posters I even saw talking about how hard it is to do Wonder Woman well. Mm-hmm. And yet, as we, we were talking with Greg Rucka, and we did the list of creators I just ran off, since the Crisis reboot, there have been more good Wonder Woman runs than bad. Right. And not in counting those wonderful people I rattled off before, Eric Luke, who created Ghost, did mm-hmm. a year or so. Walt Simonson did a mm-hmm. few issues. Mm-hmm. Even after they went to 600, uh, Straczynski's run was interesting, if mm-hmm. not tremendous. Jody Pickholt did a mm-hmm. couple issues. who yeah. writes murder mystery novels mm-hmm. and did a murder mystery Donna Troy thing for this. Mm-hmm. A lot of good Wonder Woman stories. Is there a definitive one in the way that there's death of the family, mm-hmm. death in the family for Batman yeah. or, or the various Superman, Man of Steels and mm-hmm. birthrights and whatever? Maybe not, unless you're a deep fan the way I am and you can go back a long way. They've done some really good work. It's just lately they seem to have not understood Mm -hmm. what we're talking about. And what you said is just so brilliant with the movie coming. This is your moment to sell Wonder Woman to a whole new generation of people. Here's the deal. To me, they've not done Wonder Woman well in three years, Mm -hmm. at least to my way of thinking of what Wonder Woman represents. It's a good book for those who like Mm -hmm. it. As Mara always points out, it's just not a good Wonder Woman story. Why not try, as I moan about the Fantastic Four movie, here, you're trying to be edgy and different? Go back to the way it it should be, the core that you're not doing. Mm -hmm. It'll seem different than what you were doing. (laughs) Right, yeah. And return to that. So that's why when, when Meredith says some of these things about the core of the character maybe she does get that i just hope she's not so undercut by the art and the corporate politics of what's going to what sounds like is going to happen mm-hmm. that it turns into it's a book we have to publish to keep the rights away from the marstons right because my understanding is that there's a there's an agreement one one's been in print since 1941 even the couple of months when they were rebooting for the crisis they did trina robbins miniseries to have a wonder woman book in print mm-hmm if it's not in print for six months or something, the rights revert to the Marston estate. 
Interesting. I'm not certain how true this is, right. mind you. But so it, rumor mill. <laughs> so is that why there's sensation comics? Just in case this has to take a break because he's late mm, yeah. or it's canceled or so on, that they were planning. Because yeah. that got announced after the rumors about the Finches. Yeah, it did. Yes, yes, it did. Way after. Way, way after. Um, Here's a, here was a, again, I think it's a lost opportunity. You could have done something really special with this character. Mm-hmm. It's, you moving, the movie will be out for her 75th anniversary? I think so, yeah. 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 Well, <laughs> well, we'll be talking about it then, I'm we'll, sure. We'll see. We'll see what happens. I mean, you know, you know, I think in the New 52, it's been interesting. As much turmoil as there's been, there's been a few people who have been on books for three years now, yep. which is pretty impressive. You don't see that a, a ton anymore. And I, I feel like I, maybe this isn't going to be that. Maybe it's going to be a year. I mean, Finch hasn't stayed on a book that long, I think, ever. You know, so, so we'll have to see. I mean, his, he just is not a very fast artist. So, I mean, it could very well be that he's starting out the arc to, you know get it going he's gonna do six issues and then maybe someone else come steps in as an artist but we'll have to see let's see what happens nicholas scott would be nice well yeah that'd be awesome but she'd be great on anything yeah um, uh so yeah so that's the about the big one roman announcement I, I will obviously be talking more about that in the in the weeks and months to come as that book actually hits the shelves um let's talk about some books talk about some books um books oh boy i don't know if i have my um if I have my stopwatch on me right now. <laughs> well, it's just us. Oh, yeah, it's true. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're a little over or under. I'll put my watch down. Okay. <laughs> I'll, take a, I'll watch my clock, too. Um, all right. So let's do our lightning round where we talk about a bunch of books in three minutes, and then after which we'll do our book of the week, which will be a longer form version of that. Bob, lightning round, go. Okay. First thing up, New Avengers number 20. Uh, Jonathan Hickman, Valerio Scheide. Lots of interesting Doctor Strange moments here, though not as much as in something else I'm going to talk about later. And some The Great Society, which is their Justice League. This is a better issue than it's been usually. It's still not great because there's still a lot of sideways, but much better. There is Ghost Number 5, uh, Chris Sabella's first issue with Jan Dersima on pencils. It's... A great new mystery about sort of a TV personality who may or may not be demonized. It's a little pedestrian, considering number four was just such a great issue. Fun, not perfect, but I'm gonna I'm gonna stop and see. It's just a little, mm. little underwhelming, but I'm working on it. <laughs> Savage Hulk number one, which is going to be a series of mini arcs, sort of the way Savage Wolverine was. This is Alan Davis. Uh, inks by Mark Farmer, uh, colors Matt Hollingsworth, and uh, Clinton, Cow- Clinton Cowles on letters. This story actually picks up from old X-Men 65 and 66. 65 is Denny O'Neill and Neil Adams. Professor X comes back from the dead. He died in issue 42 and got buried. Comes back because he's been hiding to stop an invasion by the Znox. <laughs> Big reptilian creatures from outer space. And only he can save him by using his mental powers to unite everyone on Earth to stop this race from coming. And then he falls into a coma, and they need a Bruce Banner to save him some Hulk device. So we pick up from that. Alan Davis, who did such great work on Excalibur for all those years, really knocks this out of the park. You've got some guest stars, the leader, someone else at the end. The X-Men are done well. Lovely, lonely panels of the Hulk just looking into space. He wants to be left alone, but Hmm. Professor X wants to pay back Bruce Banner for saving him back in issue number 66. So that's where this whole thing comes from. 
Then there's Fantastic Four number six. <laughs> it's the original Sin tie-in. Uh, it's James Robinson, Leonard Kirk, Carl Kessel. We've got a flashback, uh, Dean Haspiel, and melodrama galore. The FF returns to the Baxter building. The Avengers are there to make sure they don't get inside. They're, the kids have been taken away. The great Sue moment, though, she's very angry and blows them to smithereens. You know, this happened before as far as FF9. They got kicked out of their building. They went broke. Reed invested in the wrong stocks. But now we're into this original sin nonsense. And Johnny, I'll ruin it for you. Johnny Storm fouls up a machine and Ben can't be turned back into the thing, uh, back into Ben Mm -hmm. Grimm from the thing. And it just undercuts so much of their relationship. Ben has found out he is very, very mad. He's probably, since he's going to get tried for murder in a couple of issues, I guess that's where this is all going. Or maybe it's attempted murder. He ends up in prison. Uh, it's just, it's just too much of this. It's just too dark and 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 too unremittingly sad over and over again. The fa- taking the kids away has already happened, and they found the result didn't work back in FF five thirty five with Straczynski back then. I'm not a fan of this. Sadly, been there, done that. Yuck. That's it. That's good. Three minutes, Bob. Okay. <laughs> Um, I love the the old X-Men books. I love the, I love the tagline, the strangest teens of all. Yes. Sixty <laughs> uh, six was actually Roy Thomas and Sal Buscema. Okay. Uh, from 1970. And yeah. Now, Alan Davis, by the way, is very much uh, just, you can mm-hmm. take oh, a my look. My goodness. Uh, Alan Davis and Neil Adams are stylistic brothers. Yeah. I mean, yes. they are very much so. It is so like reading an old Marvel book, reading the Savage Hulk. Uh, lots of words, lovely captions and word balloons, which you don't see much anymore. And uh, X-Men 65, there are lots of Polaris and Havoc. And Neil Adams is one of the just absolute all-time greats in this industry. Mm-hmm. He'll tell you it, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Only met him once, and he was he was very nice, but there was that sort of... Oh, yeah, no, he's I'm, a very I'm, nice I, man, but... I'm Neil Adams, he and you're not. Oh, yeah, Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely, is exactly what it's like when you have him. Uh, talking to him, awesome, great job, Bob. Uh, let me get my little notes out here because I have a bunch of little stuff to talk about. Okay, here we go. Okay. All right, and lightning round go. Okay, Justice League number thirty-one. Uh, picking up where we left off, Lex Luthor has figured out who Batman really is, <gasps> and he comes and has a kind of confrontation with Bruce Wayne about it and it's just a great conversation between the two of them it's awesome battle of, of wits between the two of them um and we get the return of a uh, certain group of superheroes at the end of justice mm. league number 31 um we have the power ring searching someone out and when it finds that person uh they show up at the very very end uh, batman number 32 uh getting really close now to the end of zero year um this is a primarily action-focused issue um good stuff but honestly um actually as much as i love it one of my least favorite issues of of the series so far um it's still great just on the the scale of of the scott snyder batman not one of my favorites um and then i've been reading more of this best american comics of 2013 and i want to talk about two that i read that were especially interesting so there's The Speaker, which is by Brandon Graham, uh, Art and Words, um, who does multiple warheads and profit. Um, it's, it's about uh, the voice of a man who uh, leaves him. So he's, 
he you know he looks like a person but he's the voice the voice of this man and he goes around and and has adventures and then he f- he hears that the man who he left has died ouch and when he goes back all of these aspects of the man's personality have been like cut up so there's like his will there's like his good thoughts his bad thoughts his doubts and basically what happens is all of these these kind of parts of him are still survive after he's gone but then his his doubts come to exterminate all of them uh and it's kind of like a it's it's like a bizarre chase story because they're all running away but it's just a very surreal very fun story to read um had a lot of fun reading that one and then there's one by uh, by sam aldman alden It, it comes from a book called haunter um and it, it it's it's it, there's no words in it it's very watercolory and it's a story of a hunter and this hunter is hunting a an animal and he comes across this cave and he walks into this kind of passageway in the cave and then there's this creature on the other side of the cave who begins hunting him Ooh. so it's this hunter becomes the hunted kind of thing it's beautiful it's it's it, it's it's really kind of powerful story um and i just loved it so so much i think it's uh, an internet book um and i have to i'll find the uh address when i get to it but this book has just been a kind of a treasure trove of stuff for me to look at as as farther i've gone into it but a very very cool uh, it's silent uh, completely silent uh story really really amazing each one's a painting on its own Uh, yeah i I would recommend this to anybody again uh, after going through it even more um definitely check out best american comics of 2013 all right cool i think you're well under I think it was about three minutes. I think it was around three minutes. <laughs> so can we say who's in the end of Justice League, or we'll keep that a secret? Um, we'll keep it a secret. We'll keep it a secret. We'll keep it a secret. <laughs> um, I, when they reintroduced the Metal Men mm-hmm. that first time around, the, the, the next issue that they used, the, the first issue they used them in was so good. Mm-hmm. You know, Jeff Jones really captured that. I'd like to think he can do this here, though there's someone extra in that group that I'm not sure who oh, okay. that extra person is, but she could be from one of the other universes because right, we're gotcha. still dealing yeah so we'll have to see but it, it, it's i'm excited about it I, I i love i love whenever characters pop up in jeff john's books who are underused because they usually he usually does very very well by them mm-hmm. in, in in his books so it, we'll see it does seem to be more the i'm skirting here the more the classic version of this than some of the more recent gotcha versions <laughs> which were a little crazier yeah if anyone everyone who knows what happens in the end of justice league will absolutely be in line with what you're talking about. I was like, what the hell are they talking about? Um, You'll know next week. Yes, because we can talk about it once once we're past the the week it happened. Uh, So that's the lightning round. Let's go on to our books of the week. Bob. What would you like to start with? Let's start with Miss Marvel. Ms. Marvel, I'm sorry. Ms. Marvel. Ms. Marvel. Yep. G. Willow Wilson, Adrian Alfona, Ian Herring on colors, Joe Caramanga on letters, and a Jamie McKelvey, Matt Wilson Oh, I love the cover. Yeah. It's awesome. it's interesting. It's just so subtle. For those who've seen this cover, I put it in my covers of the week. It's Kamala sitting on a light pole on the, on the lamp at the at the outside of it, mm. looking into Midtown Manhattan. And there's this slight hunch in her shoulders, and it you can read this as doubt. Can I do this? Am I ready for this? It is just perfect and beautiful. Mm-hmm. Nighttime scene. Now, this is her first full-fledged superhero rescue mission. It's Bruno's brother, Vic, who's been captured by the minions of the inventor. 
And this fellow Doyle is more than up to repelling her. He's got all sorts of laser guns and whatever, and she's having trouble getting her powers to work. She's still wounded from the mm. robbery, which really wasn't a robbery. I don't want to spoil too much of that <laughs> in case you haven't seen that, but she did get wounded there. And she returns home to a, a grilling from her mom. Because yeah, what, what are you dressed up? What were you doing? And, and yet it's sweet and, and wonderful. And you get this, this quote from Kamala just before this all happens where, uh, as great as it is to feel powerful, I kind of want my mom. Mm-hmm. I mean, she's a real girl. She's a, G. Willow Wilson has provided us a real teenage girl here. And then it's followed by one with her dad who basically see nothing but him yelling for five issues yeah and it's all turned around here this little speech and she's getting it and she understands i'm not going to spoil it by by quoting the whole thing you should read it in context and 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 catch because it's just absolutely gorgeous particularly the way it ends which is how a lot of us are with our parents Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) because it is this is real people Mm. it is just genuine and then she realizes she's not going out the way she did where she went on this mission and couldn't get it accomplished. So she goes out with, goes with Bruno to one of the funniest superhero training missions <laughs> of all time. <laughs> there are some just charming bits of her playing with her powers and her size of her various limbs, her whole body. And as we've had for every issue with this, it's a perfect balance of action, adventure, human, real drama, not superhero melodrama, but human drama of a girl trying to find a place. And because she's the daughter of immigrants, we have that all pulled into this. This is honestly the book I look most forward to reading every month. Mm -hmm. And I wouldn't have told you this going into this. And I've said this before, and I'm sure people thought it was nonsense when I said it one issue in, because it probably was one issue in. (laughs) But five issues in, I really have the feeling I did when I was reading Stan and Steve's Spider-Man in that there's something happening here that's very different in superhero comics in its presentation of a teenage superhero who seems like a real teenager and a superhero at once. I want to read as much of her civilian life as her superheroing, as great as those and fun as those are, her hanging around the house with her family, mm-hmm. going with her friends, and that. And I'm not a 15-year-old teenage girl. I'm an <laughs> old man, and I'm invested in this character and this book so hard, it's incredible. Mm-hmm. What did you think of this issue? Uh, you know, I loved it. I, I've loved every single one of them. I, I, it's it's not a question. It, it What I've liked about this is I, I think often when we deal with superhero stuff, we tend to focus on the event that gives the person their powers as the origin of the hero. And so often it's not, you know, it's mm. it, there has to be something else, right? Peter Parker does not become Spider-Man because he gets bit by a spider. He gets become Spider-Man because his uncle gets killed, and it's his fault, and that drives him to become mm-hmm. Spider-Man to become a hero. And here, you know, she, you know, she is interesting because legacy characters are very interesting characters. I think in general, you look at Batgirl, right? Batgirl does not become Batgirl out of some huge personal pain. She becomes Batgirl out of a sense of duty. <laughs> to the place where she lives and the want to help and, and to make the world around her better. And Kamala is in kind of the same boat. She wants to be that one of those people that makes the world better, but she has to learn how to become one of those people. Yes. And in this issue, you see her, you, you, you see, she's a great, great kid and a great person, but she has the shortcomings of a, of a kid, which is that she believes she just has to run in there 
and she's invincible. Yeah, talk tough and yeah. it'll work. And she's not. She gets her clock cleaned, has to retreat, go back, and figure out a way to come back and do what she needs to be done. And this series has seemingly always been about the fact that, yeah, she is Ms. Marvel, and she looks up to Captain Marvel, but she cannot become a hero by just aping what this person that she thinks is the best does. She has to do what is in her, and it, it's a great just like a lot of these stories have always needed to be and always start as they are great metaphors for what everyone in their life needs to do, which is that you cannot go through life living your life by other people's expectations. You have to create your own and become your own person. And that's what this book is about. She's becoming her own person and she ends up being successful because she does what Kamala is supposed to do, not what Captain Marvel would do. Yeah. She says here, Good is not a thing you are, it's a thing you do. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Absolutely. It, it may not go down with, with great power, but <laughs> you know, that's a heck of a tagline. Yeah, absolutely it is. Absolutely. Great issue. Great, great issue. Um, all right, New Avengers Annual. Ooh, New Avengers Annual number one. Frank Barbieri from Five Ghosts mm-hmm. and Marco Rudy, who I don't think I've ever seen a panel of his artwork, but I now want to see a lot more. He did that the newest Marvel Knights Spider Man book. Oh man! Yeah. Oh man! Is this this is now? I had said this to Steve, and I think he picked it up that I thought this would end up being the Doctor Strange story in the in between issues. What he did to sell his soul. Mm. This is actually called the title is self surgery. By the way, uh, Marco Rudy does apparently all the arts. It's it's mm-hmm. painting and the whole yeah. shebang and the colors. And as Joe Cameron got letters, it's also very important here. This is a, a book-length annual story. It's, it's not one of those where you get a, a comic book and then some extra sloppy stuff at the end. This is the whole annual. Is this just absolutely amazing tale of Doctor Strange. And it's related to the issues he's facing in New Avengers proper in that it's how he's, he's lured back to Tibet to deal with one of their problems in, in the monastery where he learned from the ancient one back in the old days. They have a possessed princess. And what we do is it is a flashback to his days as a young doctor in residency where he's learning the cost of what has to happen. Uh, Nothing is impossible, but everything has a price. Life is spent learning that cost. Patients die. Mm -hmm. And, And they use the quote from Reed Richards where everything dies. Well, but why and how? And in those flashbacks... It's just a masterful story here by Frank Barbier. We were able to see the incident that would lead to him challenging and channeled the arrogance that we know he had. The, mm-hmm. the, the surgeon that led himself to, I don't care, and I'll do what I want. Well, that's all here. But the modern tale makes full use of the lesson he's learned before, and we see a dedicated, driven Doctor Strange willing to do something seemingly bad to accomplish the goal he needs to because there's a greater good than what he may or may not be able to control further on Mm -hmm. it's brilliantly insightful story here the art is just astounding yeah this is this is like jh williams steranko but you've got some black and white stuff that reminds me of gray morrow who was the co-creator of the man thing years ago Mm -hmm. did lots of horror books for warren and whatever beautifully expressive and sad melancholy colorful the panel layouts are insane yeah this is one of the most gorgeous books I've ever seen. I, there's, they were asking Axel Alonso in his uh, online column a week or so ago with Doctor Strange, big part of New Avengers, and you're, you're going to do a movie. Is there a solo series coming? 
I hope these two guys are doing the Doctor Strange solo series. This is gorgeous, gorgeous book at, at every level. Yeah, I was going to ask you, uh, this feels to me almost like a backdoor pilot. It'd be like, because it, it, it's a very specific team. It's obviously a, um, a up-and-coming writer and, a, and an artist in the same vein, right? I mean, you, you mentioned J.H. Williams. is also very Bill Sienkiewicz yes. look to it as well. Um, it's gorgeous, and it's it fits perfectly with the character. Uh, it fits perfectly in this seemingly Marvel's uh, um, want to have the furthest thing from a house style I- I- imaginable. Yeah, um, you know, you're, you know, like Electro. We've got like Electro mm-hmm. right now, which is obviously the same thing. Gorgeous, gorgeous, crazy looking book. I mean, it's great. It, it it does a great job too because it is a little bit of an origin story as well as a tale about what's going on now with the character. You know, yeah. kind of that that previous you know previous doctor strange stuff which i thought was very very cool uh yeah it's it's beautiful great 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 annual and completely worth the whatever it was five dollars and if you're not following new avengers it doesn't matter no it doesn't matter it's just a great doctor strange story this Mm -hmm. is wonderful introduction for those who've never read a lick of it Mm -hmm. because look you can look up his actual origin on wikipedia or the marvel wiki and and see it and he actually though he did premiere without an origin (laughs) <laughs> they told his origin five issues later he was uh, a backup in strange tales mm. which had nothing to do with him it was an old monster book from right the, i'm rambling go ahead go ahead I'm people done. love when you ramble bob i'm done people love it uh all right so for me uh i'll start with uh superman number 32 uh we've got jeff johns uh writing john ramita jr on pencils and uh klaus jansen on inks Ooh. which is a good little team yep. of of people there. Um, so this is one of the books with the credits in the back, so I want to make sure I get everybody here. Um, or so I thought it was. Maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> I'll have to, they're in the middle. They're in the middle? <laughs> I, I have no idea. You have no idea. So I'll, I will find them, because I don't want to leave anybody out. i got, I got to find the credits. And, oh, here we go. Ah. That's right. They were written out like movie credits almost. Um, Klaus Jansen Inker, Laura Martin on colors, and Sal Cipriano on letters. Um, so obviously this is a, a big big debut for for dc mm-hmm. um jeff johns taking over duties on superman with john romita jr coming over from marvel for the first time ever right doing a dc book i believe so unless he did something when he was a kid right that i don't remember but i don't think so taking over on superman and what we have here is the first superman the, the actual mainline superman book that tells superman that's been worth reading in the entire Three years of DC wow. two. I mean, they've had other. Obviously, Unchained has been very good. Action has been very good. This is the first time where I feel like Superman has been a worthy entrant into the into the DC universe. Um, Jeff John tells a story which is so obvious a story to tell in the Superman book that I uh, and I looked around. I can't believe they've never done it before. Very very smart thing to do. So basically, the beginning starts with. What you think is Clark is like a redoing of the origin, right? You think that it's they're showing it once again Clark being sent out into the mm. world and off of uh, off of Krypton into into Earth, but it's actually not. It's it's another planet sending a, a baby out, and what you come to learn is that the planet that baby. That that baby has also now grown up and has been searching for his people, just as Clark, uh, you know, searching for his people, and uh, you know it's it's going to be the crux of the next 
you know, the next few, the next arc. So I am going to talk about what goes on because I think it's important to talk about it. Um, you find out that this baby was sent out from Earth when they thought Earth was going to be, be gone and now it's come back and it can't believe that it's back on Earth because it thought Earth had been destroyed. Hmm. So, um, and it has also has superpowers as well. So they're, they're, they're kind of, you seem like they're going to be teaming up or whatever it's going to be, but it's a very interesting story, a very deceptively simple story, which I, it's, I, I like I said, I can't believe they haven't done it before because it seems like an obvious thing to do, but it, it's, it separates the book from the other Superman titles and allows it to be a, but still be a story about Superman, not just about him punching giant monsters. Cause it's funny cause that's the way it starts. And I feel like they do that on purpose. You know, I feel like they do it on purpose to make you think, you know, go like, okay, this is what it's always been. He gets rid of it in the first couple of pages. Now let's get on to the, what's really going on in the story. Um, you know, I, I wasn't, I guess, flabbergasted by the story like i wasn't completely blown away but it's incredibly solid and like i said before it's jeff johns who's writing i really really enjoy so i have faith that going forward i'm going to enjoy what, what i get um i was most surprised actually with the fact that i really really enjoy the art quite a bit by john romita jr um i thought he, all the kind of preview art we've been seeing, I wasn't really digging a, a ton, but what we got in the book, I, I just really liked. I liked his the sense of action in the book, especially if they did a great job with the big action scenes that were happening. Um, you know, I I liked the way he drew Clark. I, I liked the way he draws Superman. I liked the way this new character looks. You know, I just, I dug it. And I think that obviously the inks by Johnson and the uh, Laura Martin colors are obviously a big part of that as well, but I really, really liked the book a lot. Um, I think it's something I'll definitely be checking out at least for the next couple of months to see, to see where it goes. But, you know, I think in the past we've seen some of this, the the remedial stuff and I feel like it's felt rushed or or a little bit, I don't want to say lazy, but that's the best word I I can come with. Mm -hmm. And I did not feel that in this book. You know, I felt a renewed sense of energy from him. And that's funny. When I thumb through it, the store and seeing you look through it now, Mm -hmm. His quiet moments are the equals of anybody's. Mm-hmm. And with Jansen's inks, where it's really cleaned up some of that raggediness, it mm-hmm. seems like, that, that panel right there, the lower right there mm-hmm. with, with Clark just looking sort of weary. Right. It's just really, really well done. When he was doing Captain America, those 1930s things, that depression era in New York, that captured a real downtrodden feeling. I mean, he really can do emotions very, very well. And mm-hmm. if we can have... His, the action sequences don't look so bad here either, as you, yeah. as you were saying. If you can combine his emotionalism with a really solid story and bring up the... Here's the thing. Jack Kirby's anatomy, when Jack Kirby's characters threw a punch, no matter who it was, you knew they could punch through a wall. Mm-hmm. And it seemed like it could happen. John Romita Jr., as opposed to his dad, who had some of that, it's kind of weightless. Mm. It's kind of... There's a lot of air in it. Mm-hmm. That that two page spread there, you're saying with some there's some for those cognoscenti, there's some Kirby crackle going on there, <laughs> and there's two characters beating the living snot out of each other, and it looks powerful. Mm-hmm. It really looks powerful. The colors there really set that off. It, it could end up being the dream team they want it to be, provided the story pulls it off. Right. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Um, yeah. And it, it you know it had. I actually really liked Superman's anatomy in the book. I felt like he was big and strong and it felt like he was powerful, but he wasn't overly muscled and yeah, wasn't overly Arnold huge. Schwarzenegger, yeah, right? exactly. And I really liked that a lot. Like it, he felt 
You know, he didn't have, you know, a thousand abs or anything like that. It, it just felt like a big, powerful guy. And I, I liked that a lot in the book. And also kind of the lighting and stuff is really great. I I, I was th- reading this book. I was like, okay, like, I don't really care about John Romita Jr. I love Jeff Johns, so I'm excited to read that. But it's turned out that I was actually, as much as I like the story, I liked the art more, wow. which is a, a very welcome surprise for me so i'm yeah. very excited to keep right. reading it because you know that jeff johns will end up delivering for you absolutely yeah. and he's written yeah. superman before he's written very good superman stuff before and it, it's funny because you know you look at what he did before you know he had gary frank with him and, and a lot of that stuff mm-hmm. and that stuff is awesome what i but the thing about gary frank was that gary frank very much was drawing christopher reeve superman okay. and it, you know if you look at it, it looks like that mm-hmm. character and that's fine obviously i mean that's a very iconic version of that character but um Reading this, I liked it. Just, it just felt solely wholly different and its own. So I'm excited. I still like Gary Frank. Is he doing anything these days? He did all of that like Shazam stuff with Jeff Johns, the backup oh. stuff, but he hasn't done anything solo. He did that Batman Earth One book with Jeff Johns as well, like that graphic okay. novel. Um, and I don't think they've come out volume two yet. I think that's coming out soon. But um, I guess he's not working like regularly yeah. anymore. He was the main artist on Peter David Supergirl. Oh yeah, twenty years ago. Yeah, and that was an amazing little book. Yeah, I, I think it's his choice. I don't think it's not. I don't think okay. it's anything like that. Um, he's, he's not one of those veterans that can't get any work. I don't for them. think so. I don't think so. Um, here's a here's a weird comic book thing. Should Superman have big muscles? I think so. I, I, I think so. Yeah. I mean, I think it's just because I think that he's not the type of guy who I think would be lazy about his superpowers. You, you know what I mean? But what muscle resistance does he have? Well, I mean, he, there'd be no way for him to build muscle. I mean, he throws like but he, he throws pretty heavy stuff. <laughs> but because he's so super powerful, his muscles wouldn't build up. Yeah, but we what, don't. What weights would he lift? He'd but pre- we we don't know. Like ben, bench press the moon. Yeah, or something? exactly. Yeah, okay, yeah. maybe maybe yeah, yeah. he goes off on his off yeah. hours. And <laughs> what do you think he does up in that fortress? He has like a ton of stuff up there, crazy stuff up there. Um, he, he's he's playing words with friends. Yeah. Also, we don't know how Kryptonian physiology works. Could be different. This is true. It could be different. And we know how he shaves. It was yeah. Stephanie told us. It's true. <laughs> um, the other book I want to talk about it is uh, Outcast by Robert Kirkman with art by Paul Asetta, um, colorist by Elizabeth Brettweiser, and letters by Russ Wooten. Um, I you know we don't really need to um, give Robert Kirkman any introduction. <laughs> he's yeah. You know, possibly the most successful comic book writer in the world right now. Certainly financially, I'm going to guess that yeah. he probably is. Uh, obviously, writer of The Walking Dead and Invincible. And here is his new series, his first new series in a, in a very long time. That's just him. I mean, he did work on Thief of Thieves, but that was not his alone. This is just Robert Kirkman doing a horror book. Boom, here we go. Um, it is a sort of exorcist tale. It's it's the story of a, of a man who has a young boy dealt with his mom being possessed um, and then later on in his life, his wife got possessed. So he has a bad history with that stuff. And he is kind of been recruited by the local priest to help him because of his experience with possession, wipe out others. And he's initially resistant, tries to do it because he has a vendetta against, against these mm-hmm. spirits. Um, and there's sort of something special about him. That's kind of what the name outcast comes from. There's something about him that draws these demons near him, but also, makes him more powerful against them. Uh, you know, we talk about first issues a lot on this show, and I feel like most of the time, they always come with, not caveats, but there's usually some caveats, and also, this is the first issue, so they're starting everything out. There's still, there's there's a point of start to go, right? They're, they're getting the motor running. No matter how good the first issue is, it's always a point from going zero to 60 by the end of the issue. 
this book, this is one of the, probably the most assured first issues I've, I've ever read while doing this, this show. Hmm. It, this, this first issue feels like a book in mid-stride from issue one. And I don't mean in plot, because it's very clear and simple to understand what's happening. It gives you complete ends to all of the characters. You know who they are. You know what's going on. But it doesn't feel like it's, it's escaping shackles or it's, it's trying to get revved up and it's, it's starting from a place. It feels like you hit the ground, you're running. It's really a really great first issue for the, exactly that reason that I feel like I'm already seeing creators at their stride in, in a book, you know? And I, I thought that it's genuinely scary. The art is intimidating <laughs> and gruesome at times. And it plays on a genre that I'm very fond of, which is this kind of exorcism genre that's a very i i find it very interesting i find it scary i'm drawn to it especially in horror movies um so yeah it was really really great i mean bob is what do you think of that kind of genre of of story you can go so many different ways with that as we've talked about the the name now loses me the fellow who's directing dr strange the last scott derrickson right right the last exorcism of emily rose exorcism yeah yeah. get those two movies mixed up Because you think you're safe in your own home, and mm. nothing bad can happen when you're in bed. Well, demons get inside you, and now you're not who you are. And you, you, the impact on families and communities and all the rest of it just spirals outwards while being all inwardly directed at once. It's a lovely combination, if you want to call something so horrible lovely, but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it plays on so many different levels as opposed to just a monster. Right, yeah. You know, Lovecraft wrote uh, a book-length essay called Supernatural Horror and Literature back in 1930 or whatever it was. And he made the point then, you know, the sort of stories he wrote, that witches and uh, vampires, whatever, just couldn't be scary anymore mm-hmm. because they'd all been done to death even by 1930. But they weren't doing stories like Peter Blatty's Exorcist. Right. And that you know, all those Italian horror movies that went down that road, they, they became too many, and now they're starting to come back. Mm-hmm. You know, Insidious was sort of in, in yeah. that sort of vein. It's just, it's a personal attack, mm-hmm. and it's different than the mummy is outside my front door, right, yeah. shambling up the stairs. Yes. You're personally violated. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's, it's oh, terrible stuff. Absolutely, absolutely. And that's this has that all over it, and I think that... I want to say that the the art again, the colors um, by Brett Weiser are Elizabeth Brett Weiser are great. I mean, I always find it fascinating the way you color night scenes that aren't lit. You know, <laughs> it's it's very fascinating to me how you create those shadows and the and the difference and the contrast between the background and and the characters in the scene. And I I, I love the way it's done here. Um, I love the the contrast between the dark and the light, and you know this this feeling that I, I, you know, we haven't had it yet here. Cause I feel like they're, they're doing it purposely where, you know, there's when, when it, when there's brightness, it, it feels safe. And then when it's dark, it, it's very scary. And that you know, that something wrong is coming. I, I feel like as a storyteller, Kirkman's going to turn that on its head at some point, mm-hmm. And you're going to see that in the daytime stuff. That's really going to freak you out as well. But I just, I, you know, I, I bought it. I was, I wouldn't say I was excited about it because Listen, I, I've read a volume of The Walking Dead. I've read some of Invincible, but because that stuff was so deep in when it started, and because it was so, so in the consciousness and so talked about, I just, I guess, the the little bit of contrarian that lives within my heart <laughs> was like, I'm not reading this stuff, you know. It can't be what they say it is. Yeah. yeah. So I never really attacked this stuff, and never really 
you know, got into him as a writer. And so this book came out. I was like, well, of course I'm going to pick it up. It's a big number one by the, one of the biggest writers in the world. I've got, I've got to check it out. And I was really kind of floored by, by what it was really, really excited to see where it goes. Um, you know, this, I think this is going to be a good month to month book. Hopefully, unless we start, unless I start seeing a pattern, then and then I will wait till, till trades. Mm. But is this a long term ongoing? Or? Oh yeah, he doesn't he doesn't know anything short term. Right, Invincible is one hundred and forty issues itself. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. So yeah, so I think we're at one twelve at Invincible now, and we're at like one forty okay. something in The Walking Dead at this I point. Mixed up the numbers. Did you ever read his Marvel Zombies? I did not. No, I never read it. It's good stuff. It's bizarre. The characters began in a couple of issues of Ultimate Fantastic Four, mm-hmm. where they find this other universe where things have gone horribly, horribly wrong. And just to see the real Marvel characters, oh, it's another universe, so it's Colonel America. I forget what, they have those numbers, I have no idea what they <laughs> are, I don't really care. The where 616, I guess. Mm-hmm. I do know that one. And there's 1602, I know that one. <laughs> anyway, so to watch the Avengers basically just eat people, other mm-hmm. heroes and, and each other, to see the Hulk laying there with giant bones sticking through his stomach and his teeth coming out and <laughs> Spider-Man's leg off, it's, it's, it's sick, twisted, bizarre, really horrible stuff. Because mm. you're, you're laughing, and then you're not, because I'm supposed to like these people, but they're doing something I don't, and am I supposed to? And you're conflicted. Right. But it, they're fun books. They've all been collected now. But yeah. Find the original trade or just just look it up. It's goofy stuff. They've gone on probably too long. Right, yeah. They, they, they do them every once in a while now, right? Every year, I think they do a yeah. run of them around Halloween. Uh, so, yeah, those are those are my books. That's Outcast number one and Superman number 32. And Bob talked about uh, Ven- New Avengers Annual uh, number one and Ms. Marvel number five. 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 Um, so uh, let's go on with some questions. Let's, let's go, go on with some right, questions. Go for it. So I want to address a couple questions right away. Uh, a couple people asked us about some books. And so David Spear asked about Thor God of Thunder, which we're not reading. So I can't. I can't speak to it. Um, that would be a that would be a Steve department. He's not uh, and he's not here today, so he he would have to talk to that. We'll save that for next week. Yeah. Um, we also Scott Wag Wagaman about Spawn. We, none of us read Spawn. Um, so there's, we have nothing that we can't talk about that. And someone also asked us about uh, Strangers in Paradise, which is the um, Terry Moore mm-hmm. series he did before Rachel Rising. None of us read that either. Neither of us read that either. So we can't talk about it. So we're not ignoring your questions. We just can't talk, speak to them because we have not read them. So these are the easiest listener questions or the hardest. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we'll just, we, could, we could pretend that we know what we're no. talking about and just do what I did when I, when I wrote my report on the Red Badge of Courage in high school. I didn't read the book, and I wrote. I just took the test and got a ninety-eight on it. That's what you do. You read the blurbs. <laughs> yeah, exactly. See, in my era before the internet, there were classic comic books, mm-hmm. and you could always get oh, one yeah. of those. And yeah, I had those. Like they had those. Um, they were like shorter versions of the books, and they had illustrations in them as well, <laughs> um, like illustrated classics or whatever. They weren't quite comic books, but they like I had an Oliver Twist. And like uh, a couple, I don't remember the Moby Dick and a couple other ones that were like shortened versions of the books that had pictures in them. I remember when I was in the video store having an English teacher tell me, you know, you helped one of my teachers, one of my students get an F. Wait a minute. Mm-hmm. What are you talking about? Well, she rented the Scarlet Letter because she hadn't read the book and they changed the ending. And when she wrote a report, I knew what she had done. <laughs> 
I didn't do that. She, I didn't know what she was doing it for. I had told her to read the book. I'm a book person. But <laughs> what you um, so let's get some questions we can answer. This one is for you, Bob. This is from Eric Ryan, who is at Eric R Ryan Yo. Eric Ryan Yo on uh, Twitter. Well, well, Yo, Eric. I guess. <laughs> um, is Bob a fan of the Just Society? Any favorite pre-crisis issues? I am a huge fan of the Justice Society, going back to 1963 and them being reintroduced in Flash 137. <laughs> uh, even though they were in, in a, actually, no, it's one, no, it's 129. No, it, one, no, it's 137. 123 is Flash of Two Worlds, mm. and then he's flashes in 129 and 137. There around in the book, and then they did the first Crisis, which is Crisis on Earth One, Crisis on Earth Two. The Justice League gets trapped. And the flashes have disappeared, and they contact through a crystal ball on their their meeting table. Yes, well, because they're trapped by magic, so they mm. figure the only way past it is magic, and contact the Justice Society, the legendary heroes of Earth Two. Yeah, I'm a huge fan. Trust me, I own the bound archive editions of all the '40s Justice Society stories, which I'm so thankful because the real books would, would cost me. A uh, million dollars, probably, because <laughs> of what the first ones are worth. The original return of those characters, the Crisis books are collected in trade paperbacks, mm-hmm. and that's how I was reintroduced to those characters a little bit at a time. The original Hawkman, and, and, and each summer, that was the DC event. There'd be a crossover. And you'd be introduced to the crime syndicate in one of them, or the eventually the Shazam heroes, mm-hmm. the quality heroes like the Human Bomb and the Phantom Lady, and the Seven Soldiers of Victory came back, which is Green Arrow, the Golden Age version, and so on and so forth. So those are all available, so you can get all of those. The I think they've begun the cheapy versions of the archives of the Golden Age Justice Society. The all-star comics from the 70s introduced the Huntress and Power Girl, and then the older Justice Society members, Flash and Grilling, with a sort of gray on their hair, or whatever, mm-hmm. those are in two trade paperbacks. In the, they've tried to bring the Justice Society back a few different times. There was one by Mike Parabek that was really, really good. Uh, very cartoony, but very nice miniseries. You had some Jeff Johns issues that yeah, were. He did a really, long run on that book. Really, really yeah, good ones. Yeah. Uh, there's actually a mini arc by Stephanie's boss. Oh, really? That's really interesting, where it's sort of the Justice Society version of Days of Future Past. Okay. And so I think, I think it was five issues where the Nazis have won World War II, and they're all interred in a prison camp. And they, mm-hmm. these heroes who are so downtrodden still try to make a break for it and try to do some things. Uh, Justice Society classified, not so much. They, 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 there was Spotty. There were some really good ones. There's Amanda Connor's Power Girl was really good. They did JSA All-Stars, not so hot either. Little darker mm-hmm. not so much but when it was doing well uh you're you were seeing the passing of the torch the older heroes to the younger ones the star spangled kid star girl mm-hmm. is, is he passed her his powers to her and those are early 2000s mm-hmm. okay they're just, they're just so many my problem is i can't keep in my head <laughs> which ones were jsa which ones were justice society which ones are justice society of america that kind of bleed together right yeah yeah but the Jeff Johns ones, you've got some really good stuff in there. Yeah, uh, yeah. His whole that was really the first thing that he did that kind of started him on mm-hmm. his rise. That was really the first thing, and then he did Teen Titans, I think, after that. Yeah. I believe. There's also a nice run. Uh, Alex Ross had a lot to do with that. Sort of the sequel, in some ways, to Kingdom Come. Oh right, yeah. It's, um, it's Gog Justice. and Magog. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Awesome. Um, a 
I knew the answer to that question was yes. So I knew you'd have a lot of good things to say about yeah. that. Um, uh, Casey Crawford on Twitter, who's at Casey underscore Bryant says, I dig hearing you guys discuss as a burgeoning creator myself, what sort of marketing catches your attention for a book? Well, Casey, we need to see more of, of hoods, <laughs> which I really enjoyed. If, if I'm making the right connection here, yes. I think I am. Yes. Um, in this day and age, there's so much of it's on the internet. That's really great. I mean, mm-hmm. that's a way to grassroots things, Indiegogo, Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. You can get some attention that way. Because how do you get, as a neophyte creator, how do you get into previews? Mm-hmm. How do you do that? I would tell you that conventions, local stores, events, we've all been to local cons beyond the big ones where we'd go to icon up here at stony brook university and you'd see the there'd be a guy with a table who had his brand new book and he had some copies laying around uh steve at the convention we're at just interviewed some people who did the spirit collector i think is the name of the book i hope i'm getting that right soul collector i'm sorry where they did a kickstarter but at the table they had the mini versions of their comics they had prints and whatever you need to sort of put it in people's hands. It's still a tactile business. So you can say all you want on the internet and show the pictures, but some people, if you can touch it and feel it, it's real. Mm-hmm. So to me, it's live. It's find your local store. you know, And that's how I connect to people. The, the guy in the store tells me, hey, I've got so-and-so coming in. You want to meet the artist? Or I just got this book, this brand new book coming in. How do you, how do you feel about this? And you start to make connections that way. And as a reader more than anything else, it, that catches my attention. Someone then puts it in my hand as a recommendation. So to me, it's those connections. What about you? You know, it's it's tough because we're in a little bit of a different position than, you know, just kind of standard, you know, readers are. Um, I, I get, I, I'm not, I can't tell you, I can't count how many emails I get a day from people mm-hmm. being like, I have this book, will you read it? Um, and so a lot of them are just randomly generate, you know, they're just, they have a list of people and they just send a, a generic email to everybody. And some people have more personalized stuff in their emails. And, um, you know, it's, it gets to be overwhelming because it's tough. You know, I, I see emails that, you know, are obviously press releases and I tend to tune them out because, uh, and not that they don't deserve to be read, but it's tough to read all that stuff and you have to really stand out. If you're looking to get your book in front of press, I think one thing you have to do is you you have as time consuming as it will be. You need to try to make personal contact with those mm-hmm. people because as a you know a a very insubstantial member of that press, even I get a ton of stuff every single day. And when they just go like you know I love your website, like I know that's not it's just <laughs> it's just a form letter. You know I I'm not an idiot. Like I've sent them out myself. I know I know how that works. Um, they, they need to be personal and, and they need to, there should be pieces of your art should be attached to the email. You should be able to see some of the book immediately on that email. There shouldn't have to be a process to go through because you got to understand you're sending it to people who probably look at a hundred emails a day. So there has to be art immediately visible and don't, you know, it costs nothing for you to attach a PDF to your email that has the comic in it. There are some comics emails I get from people that are like, oh, and if you are interested, email me back and I'll send you the comic. I'm like, just have the comic attached to the email. You're yeah. already asking for another layer of involvement. And like, it might, it might sound petty, it might sound small, but you have to understand that what takes some, what, what, you have to multiply that extra couple of minutes by 100 
and then see how much time it's taking up. Um, it, as far as just when I see things in previews or I see things out or I look things up, you know, I, I think that as much as I'm a person who loves writing, the, the, the look of the book is the first thing that you, you can be drawn to and you can, that you, that I think that I, I look at and I go, wow, and this, this deserves a closer look. Um, and next that it's just kind of premise, you know, if the premise sounds awesome then and unique, then I'm going to want to take a look at it. But the one thing I'll say is that there are a million stories about other versions of superheroes. There are a million stories about zombies. There are a million stories that have like specific, very specific sci-fi tenets to them. And I know as someone myself who wants to write and do stuff like that, that you know, people always want to write this certain story. And so when they get the chance to write a story, that's the story they're going to write. And it's filled with these influences that they love so much. When you're going to get into an industry like the comic book industry, which is filled to the brim with people who have the exact same ambition as you do, who grew up reading the same stories, who want to tell the same stories, your stuff gets lost in a sea of zombies and spaceships and, and, and superheroes. Do something different. And I know that seems like, well, my inspiration was to write this. I understand that. But you have to press yourself to try to go outside that because you have to also be a, a marketer. You can't just be a writer if you're going to try to sell your own stuff. You've got to attack an area that is ripe for being attacked. And that's why you see stories and little books and some web comics getting such attention because they do things, you know, so differently. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something that you have to think about. You know, have to think about the fact that find, everyone has unique aspects to their personality, unique things that they love. Try to find that thing and pursue it and write about it. You know, because if your thing is like, oh, there's a vampire who, you know, is also a vampire slayer, they'll be like, okay. Blade. Blade, you <laughs> yeah. know, or whatever. You know, it's just, it just, it, uh, th- there are certain genres that are oversaturated. And yeah, you might, that book might find the right person and they might love it and you might be the next Robert Kirkman because that is a very popular genre. But the odds are that you'll have more success doing something as unique as possible to start and then segueing into something that's more that main line because you'll have a name and you'll be able to people take it grab attention mm-hmm. not because of the storyline but because it's your name on the book yeah look he was already robert kirkman mm-hmm. you know and sort of running the company mm-hmm. and when he created this whole zombie comic genre mm-hmm. he didn't create zombies because well, that was White Zombie, that old movie from the mm-hmm. 30s, and Romero more than anybody else. But he did something no one was doing. Now everyone's doing that. Yeah. Everyone's doing deconstructed superheroes <laughs> or foul-mouthed superheroes. Well, we've seen that. We've done that. As you talked about those webcomics, Adventures of Superhero Girl, out of nowhere, funny, charming, different. Mm-hmm. Or what E.L. Stewart does. Right. Yeah, absolutely, yes. But, but if you find something original and you have uh, Greg Rucka's book, mm. wow, air pirates. Yeah. <laughs> wow, find other things. You know, you, you joked around, but what if you had zombie superheroes on a spaceship? Mm-hmm. Find other things that you like and find a way to recombine them into something that ca- I've never seen that before. Yeah. That'll get you some attention. Even if it's not the most perfect thing you ever wanted to write. Make it perfect. Find something about it that is now new for you too, and not just rehash old Batman versus the Joker stories recast right. some other way. Yeah, and I mean, can 
it's got to look great. You know, I mean, it's tough. It's really tough to for th- when you're going through all a ton of stuff to not gravitate towards stuff that looks awesome or at least looks special in the same way. Right. Now, you that know, special could be ultra detailed yeah. or ultra cartoony, but special. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely right. I mean, you look at like the way Yale Stewart draws his stuff. It looks fantastic. It looks in a very specific way, yep. uh, but it looks fantastic. And th- that's part, like his writing is great on that strip, but part of it is the way those characters look. And you take it more seriously because it looks like he takes time and it's professional. And th- this goes for anything that you ever do, but if you don't care enough to, to do everything the most you can possibly do, why should the person we want to read it care about reading your book if you don't care enough? Yes. To go, go the extra mile. And look, look, as a writer, I know it's tough because anybody can pick up a pencil and write, but you have to find somebody who can, who can draw, and that's much tougher. Um, but you have to do it. I mean, it's, part, it's, half, of the, it's half of the medium. Um, great super, question. Yeah, it's a great, great question. Superbad Larry on Twitter says, what is the future role of comics when film TV technology can now provide a similar quality experience to the masses? For example, why read Daredevil c- comics on my iPad when soon I'll be able to watch a Daredevil TV show on the same device? Bob. Because you should read things. <laughs> just to be just to be flip, Kyle. Mm. Seriously, it is a problem. It's why comic book sales are down because kids could watch how many movies, how many TV episodes, wrestling, mm-hmm. I mean, at a certain level, took yeah. the place, video games took mm-hmm. the place of superheroes. So that affected comic book sales. Why you should read them is, it's. It, I'll go back to a line from Back to School. <laughs> it, it's not filtered through a producer and directors and, and the movie writers and the actors. It's the creator of the character's words and pictures. And so you're getting your own imagination into play you're providing the movement you're providing the soundtrack and you're getting the creator's real thoughts of it and not some creation by a committee at, at around a desk in hollywood four drafts in and no matter how many special effects they can put in something my superhero battles in my head are better than the ones i'm seeing on the screen <laughs> yeah i mean for me it's look the, the the simple part of it is obviously i think it's a different experience um completely it's it's a more of a tactile experience. It's it's more personal. It's more private than I think watching a movie or a TV show. The other part of it too is just that it is really expensive to make movies and TV shows. You're only going to get 13 Daredevil episodes a year, um, and you're going to watch them in two weeks or a week. Yeah. You're going to get 12 or 13 Daredevil issues a year, and have for 50 years. Yeah, yeah. for 50 years every year. And you're gonna, they're gonna part, so you're gonna have a year of entertainment, otherwise a couple, a week or two of entertainment. And the, the obviously with the TV show, they have to, they have to commit to a vision and a story, and they have to stick with it the whole time. And you're not gonna get a lot of flexibility with that stuff. And there's obviously a lot more flexibility in 50 years of comic writing rather than in just one season of TV and movies. It's, it's even more, right? Movies, mm-hmm. it's. It's you. You get one every three years for two hours, and and that's why that stuff will never replace it because it just it, it doesn't. It's movies and TV are giant giant cruise liners that when they decide to make a change, it takes a really long time. It's a big machine happening. Comics are you know are like a a, a speedboat. They can change direction incredibly quickly, and they can, you know it, except for like three or four issues out where they've probably already done them, they can change their 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 ideas. They can change their stories. They can do other things. They can go crazier directions. They can do weirder stuff. 
Um, and, and so that's why that I think that that's the reason you read them. And to be fair, he asked that question and he says for him, he loves fine art and physical form and he loves to read. So comics and books by extension will always be something I enjoy. Oh, he's absolutely right. It's that, yeah. As we both said, it's the personal nature of reading that creation. Yes. Changes everything. Absolutely. Absolutely. Good, another good question. We're, we're, we're actually answering some too. Which it's is, true. <laughs> we got off to a rough start, but we're doing We better. did. We did. I mean, someone else asked if we had watched the flash and Constantine pilots that had leaked online and I did not watch either of them. So an interesting note about Constantine. They didn't smoke anymore. He's not allowed to smoke on television. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's... He can, he can be possessed and he can shoot people, but yes, he can't smoke. Yes, uh, it's, it's It's a weird <laughs> thing. You know, it's a very, very weird thing. Um, so let's see, what else can we ask here? Um, did you see anything on, uh, on the questions that you thought were good, Bob, on Facebook? Do you remember any of the ones you looked at? I looked at all of them. Go for okay. it. Um, so... This is from Gregory Litchfield. It's another question for Bob. Um, I'd like to hear Bob talk about collecting comics in the 60s and 70s before the advent of the comics specialty shops. Being an older fan myself, I remember riding my bike to as many as five different drugstores in the suburban town I lived in during the height of my Marvel mania in the early to mid 70s, just to make sure I got every new title I collected. I vividly remember riding three miles across town to buy my copy of Giant Size Man Thing Number 1. Joke all you want about the title, but it was written by Steve Gerber yeah. with art by Mike Plug and featured a knockdown drag out vibe between Man Thing and the Glob. Good memories. Uh, that was a good fight. <laughs> that was a goodie. It was really spotty, and I go back 10 years before that. There was an old man in a stationery store, and on the wire rack or the, the magazine rack would be a bunch of comics that got poured through, and there'd be two or three of each sometimes. Mm-hmm. disappear before right. you got there so you had to be there and there was no set delivery day it's when he decided to cut the rope off them and put them on the rack so you you missed issues you literally missed issues and without back issue stores it was the farmer's market luckily over in huntington where i grew up there was bargain books mm-hmm. where you they actually they had a store filled with the copies that were they painted the sides blue because they were supposed to be destroyed these guys were hijacking trucks or something, and there was a whole store full of books you weren't supposed to have, and they had back issues organized and so on and so forth. In the city, eventually, there were stores like Super Snipe, uh, Action Comics, and a few others. But where you, you got your old books, you traded. You traded with your friends. He, got, he went to a different store than you did, so he got a Fantastic Four, and you have a Spider-Man, and you'd have to trade and decide, like as with baseball cards. Was one of these worth two of those, or is it one? Do we do one to one here, or well, yours is you cut a coupon out of yours. Now in Huntington, it was a slight bigger town out here. There were a number of really good stationery stores, candy shops, so on and so forth. You get an egg cream and <laughs> go read some comics. Moved to Bohemia in '72. No, there's no town. So there was no stationery store that sold comics. There were a couple in Sayville, slightly bigger town south. Nothing. I was, I was in big trouble. <laughs> My dad, I would send, even then I used index cards. I wrote out an index card with all the titles I collected and wrote whatever the newest number was that I had gotten. And by then it was on Wednesdays. He would go into the stationery store where he bought his paper in the morning on the way to work and pick up the books I needed. Hmm. And if they hadn't come out yet, he'd stop on the way home. And he'd, he'd think enough to pick up number one issues <laughs> because he just knew, well, they were important. Right. And 
it was it was a struggle in the old days to collect. I'm I'm envious of you guys now because there are stores you can go to and actually have this conversation with with people mm. and talk about books. And now it was just some guy behind the counter just wanted your money, right. just wanted your twelve <laughs> cents. Get out of here, kid. Mm-hmm. You're gonna buy those or you're gonna read those. Get out of here. <laughs> it, it, in some ways, though, it was it was fun. It, it's it's a shame that the the sales numbers then that we were so into it and the rest of the world wasn't. And now the world knows these characters, but no one reads the books. Right. I, I'd like a blend of the two somehow would be yeah. kind of neat. <laughs> it, was, it was very different, very entertaining. Uh, you, you didn't know ahead of time what was coming out except for a stand soapbox. Mm-hmm. And you'd know the issues that month. But everything else, you have no idea what was coming. There were surprises to be had. Mm-hmm. Gwen Stacy, oh, sorry, spoiler, Gwen Stacy died. Holy crap. Mm-hmm. Now, th- they didn't just do that. Or the Doom Patrol sacrifices themselves, and the, the comic ends with them dying, mm-hmm. and there's no more next issue. <laughs> you didn't know going in, unless yeah. you cheated. And re- now, we're, we're talking about stories. We, you could read previews and know what's happening at the end of some event that they've been keeping hidden yeah. for two years, and it's spoiled before you begin. So that anonymity is, is good, but then I, it's also nice knowing ahead of time there's a change. I don't need to buy this anymore. Mm-hmm. Or... I'm juiced because this creator's going on and not, don't find out that, well, Jack Kirby is leaving now. Mm-hmm. Or when John Byrne left the X-Men, at the end of 143, there's a little yellow box in the letter pages. Oh, we just found out John Byrne's leaving. <laughs> Sorry, we didn't know either. Uh, thanks. <laughs> thanks a lot, you know. Uh, fun time. So, giant-sized man thing. Didn't we, didn't we, when Jeff was on, I made him do that joke? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> you did. It's a great book, though. Mike Plug um, went into the movie business. He did uh, storyboards for th- uh, John Carpenter's The Thing, for instance. Mm. Really, he did Werewolf by Night was one of his great books. When Marvel went hard. He was mm. perfect. He did The Monster of Frankenstein, too. Mm-hmm. Angular, weird, sort of very <laughs> EC art, very detailed. We'll have to talk Werewolf by Night during Horror Week this year. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, it's funny. I mean, I don't. I didn't collect books. Obviously, I wasn't alive in the seventies. Thanks. But um, <laughs> uh, it was funny. The, the story about your your father reminded me of my father when I was collecting um, Marvel trading cards mm. when the first set came out, and I would like beg and beg for him to pick <laughs> them up on the way home. And he was like, "This is like two dollars a pack. It's ridiculous, sort of." <laughs> um, but I got them all at some point. There I was you like, go. obsessed with those things. I would go in. There was a store. I live in New England. I live in Vermont. And there was a chain of, I don't know if it's a chain. There's a couple, like a small chain of drugstores called Ben Franklin's. Yeah, I remember those. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And they yeah, were yeah. like drugstore. They were like, you know, like CVS, Wallbaums. Yeah. I mean, they, they were drugstores, but they had kind of grocery ish Variety kind of store. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and that's where I would buy almost all of them. Every time we go, we go to. We go to like the shopping center. I remember. I just remember that there was the Ben Franklin's, which I always wanted to go into because they had the cards. But there was like either it was like supermarket or it was some sort of department store that was also there. So it was like my penance that like I had to go into like department store with my mother and w- have to shop for clothes for like an hour so that I could go out and spend five minutes in Ben Franklin's and buy these two packs of Marvel cards <laughs> and hope I got the Black Spider Man card, which was like Ooh. one of the rarest ones or whatever. Um, I remember that very vividly. And then I remember when they, this is like the beginning, I think of it's such like such typical enthusiast, like geek behavior. They came out with like the second set and I was like, these aren't as good. <laughs> His old stuff was better. Kinda, yeah, yeah, exactly. 
I was like six. So <laughs> See, for me, I was a really sickly little kid. I, my mom was 40 when I was born, and that was not usual in mm-hmm. 1956. She nearly died. I nearly died. I was miserably sick, allergic to everything inside. I was getting tons of allergy shots and tests and whatever. I never complained. Mm-hmm. So for never complaining, we stopped at the station. So it's, my <laughs> father is completely to blame for me being into comic books. I, I guess he was when he was younger or saw him in the service, whatever, in World War II. And so he'd stop and we, we, I'd buy a couple. My mom didn't drive. Mm. So we did the grocery shopping. I, we'd be packing up. He'd send me across the street to the stationery store. Well, get me some magazines. Mm. You know what I want. And take the extra and you know, buy yourself a couple of comic books mm. or whatever. And he was occasionally got annoyed because there were all these boxes of things laying around mm-hmm. and all these comic books. He loved hearing the stories of mm-hmm. me meeting people or something something weird going on in the books or whatever. It's it's really interesting. We we always hear these stories. Uh, parents on both sides of this equation being very supportive or yeah. you're reading something and so yeah. reading is good and others is what's this junk you're reading? Yeah. And in this day and age, where kids. The kids who read are really committed to reading, mm-hmm. and whether it's comics or Harry Potter mm-hmm. or Twilight or mm-hmm. Hunger Games, and there are other kids who a book for pleasure is kryptonite. Yeah, we need to get those kids involved. And you'd like to hope that those, as Super Bad Larry was saying, with movie and TV things, that that would drive people toward these wonderful characters in these books, mm-hmm. and then maybe some parents can understand. Stan Lee used to always say that. Marvel Comics, he was being you know, very chauvinistic about it, that Marvel Comics were the last bastion against illiteracy. <laughs> so if you go into a house where kids don't read and throw some comic books on the table, they'll pick them up and read them. Right, yeah. Hey, we all started reading comics and then read real books. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why, why not? So When I was in, I was getting my oil changed the other day and I was in the waiting room and I had brought a couple comics with me and I was reading Justice League. And I, I, don't know, actually, I, had, read, I had read Saga um and there was like a man and his son like sitting off to the left of me mm-hmm. in this in this room and i read saga and fine and like you know I, I didn't even look up or whatever i finished it put it down and i took the justice league out and i opened the justice league and i hear <gasps> and then I, I look and this kid is just dead staring at the back of the comic book with like his mouth open wide and, wow. his, and his dad is like uh, and then I hear his dad going like, "That's Batman." See, that's Batman. And he goes like, "Superman." And he's like, "Because everybody, Batman, Superman, and like, like it's like Lex Luthor." And then like, he's like, "He's like, he's," and he's like, "Hey, sorry." He's just like in rapture. He's like, "No, I don't care. It's fine." Yeah. It was so funny to see like that you know, universal, um, you know, that universal signpost for people uh, to, to 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 latch onto. I think my favorite story like that. This is, I don't know, it was during the con last year. Might have been. It doesn't matter. I mean, it was just before. I was in, the day we met Stephanie, so it's that mm. first con we went to. I'd been in a little early and gone to Midtown Comics and bought some stuff, and it was too early to meet Stephanie and Steve and Bill, and so I wander over to the Algonquin Hotel, which is my go-to spot <laughs> to sit and have a cocktail, because you can sit and read in their old 1902 mm. lobby where Dorothy <laughs> Parker, Robert Benchy were, so on and so forth. So I plop down on a couch with a table in front of me and open this bag of comic books, and I, I, I order a cocktail, which is like 22 bucks, <laughs> but worth it. Best sidecar I ever had. And I'm sitting there reading Fantastic Four sort of, you know, on, on this old couch with, with, a, with a cocktail. And the waiter comes over. You know, that's one of my favorite books. He basically sits down next to me. And we, we do like 20 <laughs> minutes about Fantastic Four mm-hmm. and their history. And random waiter in, in right. a hotel yeah. 
there are a lot more people into this than we think sometimes. And yeah. Maybe, for years, you wouldn't have read a comic book in public, right? And I think now, especially, and we got a couple of questions about the proliferation of of books and oh, cool. and why people don't. And we it's quite, we said we talked about a lot, right? The, how to translate people who know these characters to people who are reading these characters. But the one thing that is is abundantly clear is that people know who these characters are. Mm-hmm. They have proliferated popular consciousness, so. If you're reading an Iron Man comic or a Captain America comic or a Batman comic or a Superman comic or whatever, it, 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 there's no disdain or anything left. It's the, the characters so even if people aren't reading the books, they know who the characters are. Yeah. They're part. They've probably seen the movies. They've spent their money. They, they've watched them maybe several times. So they're definitely they are the popular culture in a lot of ways. Yeah. So yeah, it's become modern mythology. Yeah. We just need more people to read the myths. But then, who reads Norse mythology these exactly. days? Maybe I contradicted myself. Exactly. Um, I want to wrap up with these two questions. These are both from our friend uh, Lauren Colleagues. Uh, wants to know our drinks of choice when reading comics or doing the podcast. Hmm. Well, for during the podcast, we have a mixed uh, yeah. bar. We don't. We don't drink as much as we used to. We used to have like wine every single show. Um, generally, though, I'm just. It's just seltzer for me coke or dr pepper coke or dr pepper Bob. But maybe once a month there's there's a beer or a whiskey yeah. here when especially on a longer episode yes there will be but when we do our fucking best of episodes we always have to drink something yeah. well we, the pizza's involved there too yeah yeah so we've got a lot of stuff yeah. going on there now at home it tends to be red wine or occasional uh, neat whiskey mm. for me i don't I, I end up reading most of my comics in the morning before i go to work i you know i'll sit down and read a couple so usually it's a cup of coffee usually i'm sitting there with a cup of coffee and, and reading them um for me and like just said with the it's seltzer or like ginger ale or something i don't really have caffeine after a certain time because i can't fall asleep <laughs> it kills me um and she also asks lots of comics have come to the screen are there any comics you'd like to see come to the stage musical or play Wow. I don't think I've ever thought of that before. <laughs> Let's see, the musical version of the X-Men, so I can see Banshee. <laughs> um, not Dazzler the Musical. <laughs> As a play, I, you'd want to, I'm more for straight plays. Mm-hmm. So something really, really dramatic that you could do. Uh, Doctor Strange might work. <laughs> you know, we, you start to go mystic with it, but then you got to do effects. Bat- Batman's non-superhero young life might be interesting. Yeah, no, that, that that's the only thing that I because before you said that I've seen I saw the Spider-Man musical and it wasn't very good. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's cool; they did some very impressive stuff, but it, it just it didn't do it for me. And I think that the the problem you run into here is that the two places where comic book properties succeed the most are obviously in comic book form and in movie form where you can see the vision realized to almost photorealistic capabilities, right? Think about the stage, and I love, I did theater in high school, I studied theater in college, I love theater. Think about theater, theater is very impressionistic. Theater is very, this thing stands for something. So, you know, you have like a musical, I saw the musical version of Once this past weekend, and um, the whole entire, the set is just, it's a bar, right? But there's scenes that don't take place in a bar. There are scenes that take place in a recording studio, that take place in an apartment, that take place in a, it, it, on the streets of Dublin. You put a table in the middle and a couple of chairs 
and you say, okay, this is we're now at this person's apartment. Mm-hmm. That's what theater does, right? Theater goes, here's this one piece of furniture. This means that we're here. You can't do that and say, this is the Baxter building. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. You, you have to do crazy sets, and they end up looking like sets, because that's what they are. And I don't think it's easy for people to accept that fact, right? That it's not supposed to look like this. It's supposed to look like real stuff, mm-hmm. you know? So theater is is a is a very tough place to do that stuff because it's not it, it's not meant it's meant for bombast but it's meant for bombast in a different way like you look at Phantom of the Opera or something like that like they made such a big freaking deal about that chandelier falling it's one of the least impressive things you'll ever see now because yeah. you're just used to so much bigger stuff they landed a helicopter on the stage and Miss Saigon stuff like that that's they can do that they can do one big thing that's really really cool. But they're much more about lighting and tone and feel and you suspending your disbelief to be like, okay, mm-hmm. we are in a pub, you know, in Dublin, or we we are, you know, um, in the in the jungles of Saigon or whatever. It's it's all about, and I feel like people who love the comic book medium, they're so used to their visuals and their words being one that it's tough to separate the two. What if you could do? How about a, a mystery play? Luke Cage and Jessica Jones doing detective stuff. You could absolutely do stuff like that. Yeah, you know stuff like that. But anything that involves any sort of big histrionics or explosions or anything like that—that's when you run into trouble. Galactus the musical. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> which they would definitely try to do. You know, that's the thing. Like, like uh, they're doing that Marvel Universe live thing, which seems really cool. And it's not a play; it's a, like a circus. So that that's different. But. And they might be able to do some really awesome stuff, but it just doesn't match what you want it to be. You yeah. know, it, it's an impression of what you want it to be. And some of the magazines I get, the back issue, I think it was either back issue or alter ego, they were showing an ad that was in the Marvel books 40 years ago, Captain America the Musical. Mm-hmm. Now, there was a Superman musical years yeah. ago, Up, Up, and Away. Mm-hmm. Which they even did on television, right? Yeah, they also there's like a Batman live show as well, and they they I think there's something else that they're doing right now that they're about to bring over that's going to be a, a superhero style thing. I mean, I think you would need to, you know it's not just be superhero; it could be comic book anything. I think you'd need to mine more of those smaller stories and stuff yeah. to do something cool in the, in that way. Um, but yeah, I the think mainstream stuff is tough. It's just really tough. I mean, because just you want to see it done huge and big and. It also comes back when I saw Spider Man. The, re- the main problem was that I, I, it was the origin story. I mean, with some slightly tweaked ridiculousness in it, um, but it was that story, the same story I've heard six thousand times. So I don't want to see it again. It's I want to see something new and interesting, mm-hmm. and it wasn't that to me. That also, I'll have to see. I, I can't. I honestly cannot think of a single comic book that I would like to see brought to the stage. If you ended up doing the indie things, mm-hmm. and some of them might be very well translated, we were talking some of them that act structures in the same way, mm-hmm. it's not exactly what it was we were talking about. Could you do lock and key or something of, of that vein? Maybe. It's, it's, it's still got some pretty crazy big stuff. I mean, something like, something that's very costume-based is very possible. The theater does costume amazingly well. Like Fables or something like that could be something yes. that you could do because that is... Obviously, very fantastical, but it's very costume based. It's very tactile based. It's it's based in like locations. I mean, as far as the first couple of arcs, at least that I've read, not any huge action stuff going on. Um, you could definitely pull that off. That's a great choice for something like that. That would be pretty pretty cool to see a play version uh, of that. Um, we'll have to tell Stephanie to tell Bill. Yeah, um, you know something small. Like I mean, a lot of like the uh, the really like Essex County the, the Lemire book is very very. That's that's very very small 
personality-based, character-based stuff. That stuff works, because any story can work if it's that, but anything that relies on the big stuff is not really going to work. Aquaman. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It's not going to work. Maybe Sweet Tooth. Sweet Tooth could. I mean, again, it's very, very, very character-based, very costume-based, could definitely work. Um, But the problem is stage plays don't uh, do that well. and Musicals do (laughs) And regardless, it costs a ton of money to put stuff up, so it would end up being a musical. Um, all right, well, guys, thank you so much for writing in and giving us those questions at Talking Comics on Twitter, Facebook.com slash Talking Comics, and TalkingComicBooks.com is the website. Um, let's talk about what is on the shelves today. Um, actually, I'm going to go right now. Okay. Um, there's a book coming out from publisher that's never been on those list before. Huh? It's 215 Inc. and it's enormous number one. Hmm. Um, Action Lab Entertainment. We've got Jack Hammer number four. Uh, from Archie Comics, we've got Betty and Veronica number 271 and Sonic Universe number 65. Um, from Avatar Press, we've got Caliban number four, Extinction Parade War number one, Uber number 15. Um, from Boom Studios, we've got Big Trouble in Little China number two, Garfield number 27, Robocop number one, Suicide Risk number 15, and The Woods number three. From Dark Horse Comics, we've got Angel and Faith number season 10 number four. Avatar The Last Airbender, The Rift, number one. We've got um, Michael Avenoming's The Victory is number 13. We've got no, it's a lot of trades. And White Suits, number four. Um, from DC Comics, we've got uh, Action Comics, number 33. We've got Aquaman and the Others, number four. Batman 66 meets the Green Hornet, number two. We've got Batman Eternal, number 13. Batman Superman, number 12. We've got Batwing, number 33. We've got Earth 2, number 25. Ferris, number 27. Green Arrow, number 33. Green Lantern, number 33. We've got Hinterkind, number 9. Justice League 3000, number 8. New 52, Features End, number 9. Scooby-Doo Team Up, number 5. We've got Superman, number... Oh, sorry, that's the second printing. Never mind. Superman mm-hmm. Unchained, number 7. There we go. Swamp Thing, number 33. Tiny Titans Return to the Treehouse, number 2 of 6. And Trinity of Sin, The Phantom Stranger, number 21. Now, that Unchained has been a while in coming. Am I... Yes, they, they, the... Since, like, the first four issues or something, they've been very slow with all of them. I think they are only doing eight... So I think there's uh. one more after this. Um, from Dynamite Entertainment, we've got Black Bat, number 12, Chaos, number 3, Dr. Spectre, Master of the Occult, number 2. We've got Jim Butcher's The Dresden Files, War Cry, number 2, New Vampirella, number 2, Six Million Dollar Man, season 6, number 4, Shadow Midnight in Moscow, number 2, um, Tom Clancy's Splinter Cell Echoes, number 1, and Twilight Zone, number 6. Uh, from IDW, we've got Dexter's Laboratory, number four. We've got Indestructible, number seven. We've got mm, ooh, Rogue Trooper Classics, number three. We've got mm. Stay Star Mage, number four. Um, we've got Weird Love, number two. That's a crazy book. Always. It's old reprints okay. of 50s romance comics, and they find the craziest ones they can... Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> great covers though it's always uh i love pigs or i was a hooker for the fbi or whatever crazy thing <laughs> that's awesome uh from image comics we've got black kiss triple xmas in july special oh boy. one shot um clone number 18 east of west number 13 elephant men number 58 fields number three of four 
We've got Hackslash, Son of Saint Sam Samhain, number one. Lazarus, number nine. Madame Frankenstein, number three of seven. Morning Glory is number 39. We've got Nailbiter, number three. Protectors, Inc., number seven. Satellite Sam, number nine. Sheltered, number 10. Sidekick, number seven. Southern Bastards, number three. Tech Jacket, number one. Thief of Thieves, number 22. Uh, Witchblade, number 176. From Marvel Comics, we've got 100th Anniversary Special, Fantastic Four, number one. All New X Factor, number 10. Avengers, number 30. We've got um, Black Widow, number eight. We've got Captain America, number 22. Daredevil, number 0.1. We've got Deadpool versus Carnage. Sorry, that's second printing. Um, Don't get too excited, guys. Um, Deadpool versus X-Force, though, number one, is out. Uh, Figment, number two. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Most Wanted number one Um, we've got Iron Fist Living Weapon number four Legendary Star Lord number one Magneto number six we've got Miles Morales The Ultimate Spider-Man number three Miracle Man number eight Moon Knight number five we've got Original Sin number five New Warriors number seven Punisher number eight Rocket Raccoon number one and Thor, God of Thunder, number 24. Um, from Oni Press, we've got Two Trades, Archer Co. Volume 1, and Wonton Soup Omnibus. <laughs> um, and let's see, from Valiant, Quantum and Woody, number 12. And from Zenoscope Entertainment, Grim Fairy Tales presents Oz, Age of Darkness. One shot. Ooh. All right. So that is all the books that are out today. Um if you guys want to get in touch with me, I'm at Bobby Shortle on Twitter. And Bob, your email address? Bob Ryer at TalkingComicBooks.com. All right. So, Bob has one more thing to say. Yes. I feel I'd get in really early this time. I just want to thank our friend of the podcast, Daniel Hurd, who was at Heroes Con with Kelly and picked up for me, without me knowing, the Red Sonia number one with the Stephanie Busema variant and had it signed by the lovely oh, Miss Busema, which I've... Never gotten to meet as of yet, but it is just a. I've got the whole set of her covers of this, and to have one signed that I can put up on my sort of superhero heroine gallery in the uh, kitchen will be really nice. So thank you, Daniel. That's fantastic, fantastic. We uh, yes, we have great, we have great listeners, uh, amazing listeners. Um, thank you guys again, once again, everyone who wrote in. Um, if you love this show, make sure you check out uh, the other. F- members of the family of the talking comics podcasts um we've got talking movies with brian verderosa and chris oliphant they just wrapped up their time travel um a movie called time crimes they also did a uh an episode on uh primer which is a fantastic time travel movie and it's a great they have a great conversation about that um talking games hosted by our very own steve say um that comes out every thursday at noon though i believe there will not be one this week as he is away. Um, the Misfits with Stephanie Cook, uh, Melissa Megan, and Mara Wood, um, and our Talking Valiant podcast as well. Make sure you check that out. And make sure you guys go to TalkingComicBooks.com and um, comment on the stories and articles by all our amazing, amazing contributors. So that's going to do it for the Talking Comics podcast for this week. For Bob. Nighty night. I have been Bobby. Until next time on Talking Comics, to be continued. Continued.